0: How are you doing, folks? Welcome to another edition of the Dad Bod Bible Real Men Talk. Where, hold on, let me start again. How you doing, folks? <laughs> how you doing, folks? Welcome to another edition of Dad Bod Bible Real Man Talk, where I get to chat to guys that I respect that I find interesting to talk to. And I've got a funny thing you shall find interesting as well. Today, I've got someone who I've known for a long time and is respected in the strength community as one of the top innovators of strength training. So it's Paul McElroy. Paul, how are you keeping me?
1: Thank you for that introduction, Paul. I'm doing great. How are you? I
0: can't complain. Paul off any ladders out. recently? <laughs> <laughs> the going will be sore tomorrow. I'm going to be able to use that in case with the train. Now. <laughs> so we, just, Paul, we,
1: shared, we shared a story off camera where, where Paul had a wee accident.
0: We'll, we'll if
1: it? It. it. wasn't for his his spry athleticism. He might not even be doing this podcast. <laughs>
0: I was, there, I was told that the, the ground wasn't as hard as it was. Turns out it is. <laughs> 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 fall 10 food At least you know, know how to break
1: fall anyway. You've got that down. <laughs> you know.
0: okay. So, Paul, listen, I know you well. A lot of people in the strength community will probably know you well. But for those who don't, who's Paul McElroy? That's
1: a, that's a very philosophical question to start with. You like that? Um, I'm, I'm not sure after nearly 41 years, I know the answer but I'll, I'll stagger a go. Um, well, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a man, I am who I am, but what I'm probably known for is being the creator of, the creator and the, the owner of the Amazing 12 Body Transformation Programme and Online Coaching Certification, which is a global fitness business that I own, has been in over, I think, around 180 locations around the world now. Um, I'm a strength and conditioning specialist and I suppose I've worn many hats over the years I've been an athlete in a number of different sports I mostly combat and strength sports most notably boxing powerlifting and kettlebell sport and I suppose I've competed at a high level in all three of them some more so than others um and I've been at a world level in like weird obscure things as well that you can't really call sports but are more like endeavours, things like bending and steel bars as peculiar as that sounds to everybody who hears it um, and a number of other weird and wonderful things so I'm a physical culturalist I suppose in terms of general um, physicality strength and conditioning and I'm a bit of a amateur boxing historian, combat sport enthusiast
0: you are that
1: I have a an odd brain that works geometrically and has somewhat of a photographic memory. So if I sound peculiar at times, that's why. Um, mm-hmm. I have it mostly under control, but it's a uh, it's not always under control. So we'll we'll see how we go.
0: You don't believe in doing one line posts when it comes to boxing. Like I love reading. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the thing is, like for a purist, anyone who's into the combat scene or any like strength or whatever, anyone's getting an interested in what you're interested in. You do a very descriptive, detailed breakdown, and usually when you read it, it's bang on the money. Like I do like Thank your you. boxing. I do I do like your boxing breakdowns and how you think. Who do you think's the greatest of all time? I know we're off topic already, but who's the greatest? Yeah. We, well, said not, we said there this happened. We said there is no topic. There is no
1: topic. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one actually because usually it's all just the typical stuff. How's the A12 going? How's everything brilliant? And that's all great. And don't worry, strength and is great, but. I'm looking forward to getting off topic with you because there, there, there's a few sad topics that we both share mutual interests in and it, it'll be refreshing to talk about it. Um, but yeah, greatest of all time in boxing.
0: who? It
1: depends how you defend the goat, I suppose.
0: Um, uh, the, the goat is uh, Roy Jones. I don't care.
1: I, I think it's Roy Jones myself because the way I defend the goat is very specific. Um, and that is... Who would win if both athletes were at their prime as they were in reality at the time of their prime and were of comparable size? So if that's the case, you scale people up to meet Roy or Roy down to meet them, or vice versa, and then you put them in the ring as they were with the skill set that they actually displayed, and don't like wait that for modern training, this and that, then I think Roy Jones beats everyone at it on his best day, beats them on their best day. If you look at the GOAT in terms of who has accomplished the most relative to their own era, it's hard to get past people like Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, but, I mean, the bottom line is, I think if, if, if Ray was the same size as Roy in his prime, I think Roy would have beat him.
0: Um, he's weirdly built for boxing, isn't he? Like, he's just... He, everything about him was just made for boxing. Ah,
1: he's an absolute freak athlete. People don't really fully, fully appreciate, I'm sure you do, but most people wouldn't fully appreciate just how freakish of an athlete that Roy Jones actually is. I think he could have been the best in the world at a lot of things. He's so explosive. His hand speed is supernatural, to be perfectly honest. I remember there was a documentary Um, Here we go, by the way. We're already off to the races (laughs) with my memory. It was 1996. No, yeah, 1996. 1996, I believe this documentary came out. um, And it was maybe made in 95, but I think it was released in 96. And it starred Richie Woodall and Roy Jones Jr. And it was a documentary series that looked and profiled a number of different sports. And the last sport in the profile was boxing. It was the um, the climax, so to speak. It was the the main event, right? The one that it was all building up to. MMA, as you know, in 1996, especially in Britain, hadn't really grown to an international significance. And I feel fairly confident if the same series of programs was made today, MMA would be maybe the last one, maybe even ahead oh. of boxing. But 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 back then, the reason why they put boxing last was because they described it as the ultimate sport in that um, you had the, the the speed of the sprinter, the endurance of of the marathon runner, the strength of the weightlifter, the agility of the acrobat and the courage of a soldier. I believe that's verbatim exactly what way they said it
0: as well. I wouldn't dare to knowing your memory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're off to the weird races. But this was... This was uh, a tremendous documentary. I I still have it on VHS, but I've got nothing to play it on. I recorded it off um, ITV, I believe. Um, It was called Peak Performance, the show. There you go. It was called Peak Performance. And it was originally supposed to be Roy Jones, but he couldn't come over to England for the period of time that it took to make the documentary. So they had to split it between Roy Jones and Richie Woodall who hadn't yet won a world title at that point, but would go on to win WBC super middleweight world championship. Roy and Richie actually fought in the Olympics in the bronze medal match, um, or well, to get through to the semi-finals. And Richie ended up in a, in a box off to win the bronze because Roy beat him. Um,
0: yeah, Roy got robbed. Was that, the Olympics that was the year
1: Roy, Roy got robbed in, in the Olympics in Seoul, idiot, uh, against against a South Korean in South Korea. Do you know, but fair for play to that to the South Korean guy because he tried to put his mantle around Roy's neck and bring him up onto the, the first podium. So it wasn't really his fault, it was the pars that be but that, that changed boxing forever. Amateur boxing, um, I, I came into boxing in the early 90s, and that's when the, the computer was in because of Roy Jones the, from Barcelona onwards in 92, and actually for, for a bit before that the computer was in as supposed to be some sort of impartial system. Ended up, in my opinion, creating more problems than it solves, but um, it was, yeah, it was, it was strange. You had five judges instead of three and three out of the five had to press the button either red or white or sorry, red or blue, if you were red or blue corner um, within one second of each other or the punch didn't count. So think about the confusion that that could potentially cause. In theory, you're you're expecting everybody to react at the same rate, and for it to be fairly accurate. And I suppose maybe it would be in theory, but in reality, you got some weird decisions. And at the end of the day, if you want to be biased, you just don't push the button. You can, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe it's more blatant, but it's less opinion based, so it's more blatant because there's something wrong with your finger. I don't know how many times I heard coaches saying that to judges, there's something wrong with your fingers. You know, um, you know. And it actually suited me because I was a big single shot kind of guy.
0: You had the power, didn't you? You, you, you? you had a lot of power behind your punches. I remember yeah, Connell, yeah. Connell Carmichael, and, do- and Doyler. When you remember, remember you came to the fall to train me in the MMA and MMA. Yes, I do. Yes. And, uh, I remember I was I was working at Doran Thompson's, and Doyler said to me, "Jesus, McIlroy won't can hit like a fucking." <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> good. Know. No, that's yeah. He's a tank as well, Doyler. I really like yeah. him. Um, what,
0: what, what happened? You never turned pro.
1: I almost did a few times. I first of all I went down to Paul McCullough in the one four seven, um, in Castle Street. Paul Senior. Paul Senior. Paul What's Senior. Senior. Because oh. Paul Junior is now Paul Senior. Yeah, because um, right. God rest his, his father's Sorry. sadly gone, and his son is an incredible prospect. Is that right? Big Big Gary big Strago. That's, a, that's um, his nickname, the Irish Drago. Yeah. He's, he's six foot four and he must break you. You want to see the power of this guy?
0: Paul Jr., now Paul Sr., is one of the nicest guys i ever met. I, I oh. love him. He's such a gentleman and he could fight. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that boy was Homer Simpson he has that quiet
1: confidence. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you could Homer Simpson him all day and he would break a <laughs> <hand>.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not take too many back either. He, he, you know, he'd, have you, he'd have you in trouble real quick. But his son, Paul Junior, who's now senior, is maybe five seven, five eight or so in height. I don't know. I hope I'm not doing him an injustice. But his son is is, is six foot four. Like he's, he's he's a McCullough. If you know the McCullough bloodline, they're all yeah, champions. They're, uh, they're you know, their Uncle Francie was an absolute
0: legend. They're all hard family, or do they just they just got whatever genetic just, they've got, they're just hard.
1: <laughs> just thoroughbred for taking your head off, but this guy might be the best of the lot. I mean, I don't want to say, he's got, nah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on the kid because he's got a, that's a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but he's 6'4", and he's got one punch KO power, like, you know, and he, and on he can box, he's athletic, he's a bit different, he's a bit different, He's like he has all the best stuff from the bloodline and then some new stuff where he's just like really lithe and Tommy Hearns like, you know, but he's heavier. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he did about a kid as well. What so I started doing? off training with Paul's daddy, Paul Sr. Paul Sr. Sr. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Tommy Tolan and Marco Herr and Darren Corbett in the 147. That's where I that's where I first attempted to turn pro.
0: Yeah. Um
1: tell you what. Big hit, Darren Corbett is probably the hardest puncher I've ever seen in real life. Like in terms of face-to-face reality, rather than just watching it on TV. I have heard makes? a bag make that sound or sure pods you know. make that sound.
0: What makes in your opinion, what makes a one punch knockout artist is it, mm. is it is it inbred or is it trained?
1: It's both, but it's way more it's like every it's like every other um sporting you know attribute that that's that's like an outland, um outstanding thing it's it's more as much as people don't want to hear it it's more innate it's more nature than it is nurture now absolutely you can improve the power of anybody's punch and depending on what proximity your natural power like i'm bringing everything into the different realm again but i'll try to I'll try to keep it a bit every month depending what the, but you know, really there's no other way to say it depending on what proximity your natural power is to being one punch KO power. Let's say it's distal. Let's say it's it's quite far away from that. All the technical tre- training in the world isn't going to turn you into a knockout puncher. It'll make you hit harder, but not, it'll not be enough to overcome that deficit. Say that's one punch KO par. Where am I going? And yeah, say yeah. that's where you start. Training will get you to here, but there's still quite a deficit. If your natural par is below one punch KO par, training might get you to it, but you're always going to get somebody who's naturally there, and then training brings them to somewhere else, and you've got no head
0: lift. There's some who um, punch, and they don't even look like it. Carl would be one of those guys. Yeah, do not look like it. it. Just looks lazy, and yeah. like sleeping. And you're like, how, how did that hurt? Like, I just, I've seen so many of them. You just like. That should knock you out. How the fuck? Yeah. Is that?
1: Well, I can speak
0: directly on that
1: actually because I'm a wee, I'm a wee bit of both, and I've sparred people who are exemplary examples of 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 either. When the other time, <laughs> the other time when I was meant to be potentially turning pro, when I was training with John Breen, um, I was training with alongside a lot of big punchers, um, most notably Wayne Alexander, uh who was a world champion, I think it was WBU, late middleweight world champion, and he was British, late middleweight world champion, a one punch KO artist, who if you looked at him physically, you'd have never thought it in your life. You know, normally when you look, you can kind of tell, if somebody's a big digger, you know, their deltoids are big, they've got big round delts, they're maybe a bit broad, but they've got that lathe, wary kind of look of boof, you know, where there's a whip yeah. behind the, the punch is good leverage. Wayne didn't look like that, or they're like a tank, like Tyson, where it just looks like a ball of power. Wayne didn't look like either of those things. He was kind of, he looked in shape, but he didn't really look an outstanding shape, but he was. And his punches kind of looked relatively slow and soft. People were just bowled over, just fell, you know. (laughs) And then there was Neil Sinclair, who did look like a puncher, but had that sort of lazy power, as you're talking about, where it's just like, like a like a like almost looks slow like a whip, like boom. Very, very like McGregor. McGregor hits like that too. Yeah,
0: he does actually.
1: He's not he's not like like super his power doesn't come from super speed, it comes from from that laden heavy handedness and accuracy. Um and then there was Eamon McGee who was also there and he was more of a Tyson type with very fast hands. He would hard. like shock you? He'd be on the ropes. Right, you'd be be seeing somebody or or in there sparring, aiming, and he'd be on the ropes doing nothing for a whole round. Somewhat reminiscent of what we've seen him fight Ricky Hatton. Right, he would do that a lot in sparring. I wasn't tremendously surprised to see him fighting Hatton like that because it was a trap, it wasn't like he was trying to. He lay, he sets traps like that. I seen him do it every day in the gym for months. He sits on the ropes and like gives it the filly the shell and comes down and just and takes shots from the top of his head, lulls you into the false sense of security, and then from the southpaw stance, usually that that right hook lead, just bah, really fast, but boom, right off, and then boom, somebody's on their back. It's that like blistering explosive power, which is different. Um, it be more like Tyson or Manny Pacquiao. You know, that boosh, really, really fast, explosive speed. So there's different types of knockout right? punchers as well. Um, I'd be a bit of a blend of the, both of those things, in a way. It's, it's, it's strange. I'm, I'm a bit strange. <laughs> but,
0: uh, You've got exceptionally long arms. That's For where a lot of the
1: power comes from. But yeah. like You see a lot of long-arm fighters now. By the way, I'm not making in any way a comparison between me and these guys, but just from a biomechanics perspective, people like Tommy Hearns Deontay Wilder, Mark Breland, Deontay Wilder's estranged trainer, um, who's actually perfect for him because they're, they both have the same bodies. But anyway, um, they have, when, when, you, when a long-limbed, wary, explosive guy, that's kind of like a perfect storm where, where, where if you're long-limbed, you have fast twitch muscle fibers, you've got good muscle attachments. I mean, these are things that people don't normally speak about in relation to power punching, but it's a physiological fact. If these things are in place and you've long bones and you can get the, the, you can get somebody on the end of those shots where it comes out lazy and accelerates the last third, bam, like Bruce Lee, boom. Do you know where, where it just, boom, right before the moment of impact, everything stiffens. That becomes like getting caught at the end of a bullwhip and the leverage behind that long-limbed punch when it lands at correct range is devastating. You see these big... Um, rangy guys like Deontay Wilder just shutting people's legs clean out. Like You're he might be best that. ever doing that at heavyweight, like with one shot.
0: My one of my favorite shots still is like as though I don't really like him that much as a fighter, but uh, I suppose I don't mind him. McGregor's finishing of Aldo. I know lo- mm. I, I love just the way you know you, you knew like you could see it, he was, that video. You see him practicing it in mm. the, the warm up room, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't like it was a fluke. He's practiced that, but it was that lazy? Just snap and just. It Just cuts him lovely and just nine eight. Mm. Where do you mm. think McGregor is? Do you think he's passed it now? Do you think he's been found out? And where do you think well, he's? I, ho- I hope he's not. It's hard. here's the thing it's not for
1: I suppose it's just speculative, right? But it's not for me or anybody to really know, not even for Connor, unfortunately, to know whether or not yet that his, his prime has passed or if it's passed by enough of a percentage to the point where he's no, no longer can be effective with guys at the top level. I suspect not, to be honest. Um, I suspect he's had a very rude awakening in, in that 40 seconds in the octagon in three years or something like that it really isn't enough. When you mm-hmm. see that like a Corey, had 80 minutes, I believe, of octagon time in the same time period. You know, and and it's not like his his fight with Habib wasn't a damaging one either. Um, well, both both of them had damaging fights with Habib, I suppose. Um, and, and I think it was a very specific case of an attack that wasn't that wasn't sus- you know suspected that he was yeah. going to. In that those low leg kicks, th- those have made a very steep. There's been a very steep curve of their arrival in the UFC, and they're devastating Calf- out of nowhere.
0: Calf kicking. Yeah. Yeah, Davy Polish, we were doing this in 2004, 2005. Serious? We were doing calf kicks, and I remember the first time Davy hit me, it, and I just didn't fight. I just, that, that, that one <laughs> kick, it was like three seconds into the fucking fight, out of the spar. And for yeah. the next three rounds, I didn't want to fight him. I just didn't want to be there, because every time I put pressure on my leg, I was like, fuck. People yeah, don't yeah. understand just how sore those fucking things are. Yeah, how, yeah. It disrupts your yeah. balance, and your ability to balance, and your your ability to move. Oh, well, I would
1: imagine it would. I have to say, and I, I've done. I've never fought mixed martial arts, but I've done. I've done a brave no. amount of sparring. No, I've never fought mixed martial arts. Not not an actual fight. No,
0: no. I thought you went the American fought in the MMA.
1: I went the America to fight and I, well, every day was a, was a full contact fight to be honest with you. Yeah, like <laughs> on My first day I was jet lagged, and I did five, five minute rounds. And I mean, it was brutal. And that was day one. Right. So it more or less was a fight, but I didn't get paid. It's the worst kind of fight. <laughs> I was supposed to, they, they, they did offer me a contract to come back and fight. And I was supposed to go away and regroup financially and then come back and stay permanently or semi-permanently and and try and get like a, a visa for a, a period of time. Uh, as it turned out, I went back and opened up my inbox and found out I had 200 requests from people wanting me to do body transformations on them because I put <laughs> up pictures. I swear to God, this is, you couldn't script this. I put pictures up on a new website of a lot of like, pro bono transformations that I've been doing in, in the community and among friends and family and, and different people. And the body transformations were so dramatic. A friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, actually, um, who made my first website, Peter Robinson. Um,
0: Peter Robinson. Yep. I, didn't know, you yep. Peter. I didn't know you knew Peter. I suppose you're from that. Uh, yeah, no, he's a, he's
1: a childhood friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a few years older than us, like... Um, but he's be a couple of years older than you. He's a few, few years older than me. And <laughs> we're a wee bit younger than you. Just a, just a, a year or two, something like that. I think Peter's year, actually
0: same age as me. Think Is Peter he? Be, I think Peter might be 43, 44.
1: Is he? I, 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 yeah. thought he was, I thought he was maybe a year older than you or something. I don't know. Anyway, but um, he made my website and, and it, well, we put the transformations up. And when I came back from America, there was like my inbox was full of requests from people to do that 12 week thing on me because the results were so shocking. Everybody wanted to do it and they were willing to pay, you know, a decent amount of money. So there was a, And then an opportunity came up to buy the gym and I had all this money from training all these people. And then and so it was almost like serendipitous. And I just never got back to going back. I stayed in contact with the managers and stuff over there. Um, for a while, not so much, not so much Matthews directly, but um, his management.
0: Did you see um, the video of him recently?
1: Yeah, it's very sad. Oh,
0: yeah. Jesus. They have to, they're, they're saying that, but sure not. They're saying it was an attempted at suicide. That he, that caused mm. it. Or That's re- I read it, but you don't know what to believe. Like, well, it, I don't know. I uh, hope not. Hope not. I would, I would I be really heartbroken to say that because he was he was definitely one of the pioneers of the UFC. If you if mm. you're a Matthews fan, it tells you like you were into MMA. Yeah, yeah. If you're not a Matt
1: Hughes fan, even retrospectively, I don't want to talk to you. It's like, you know, and I mean, his style of fighting wasn't really my style. Like it was the opposite of, of my style or, or even the style that I like watching best. But I just just had so much respect for him. You know, and when I was over there, he was still in a knee brace from when he dislocated his knee when he was fighting, or he tore his ligaments when he was fighting GSP the second time, or maybe it was BJ Pant. He had a real bad injury after fighting. and I think it might have been GSP. And I was there directly after that, and he was in a fucking knee brace, um, rolling with people and subbing them. Do
0: you remember like, his submission for GSP, the, the, the switch around armbar, the far side armbar? Yeah. Like, no one yeah. ever said it before. I still no. remember watching that just going, what the
1: fuck? I know, I know.
0: <laughs> Next day we were practicing but, in the gym.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Stuff, stuff that would be hard to pull off now. The game's evolved so much, um, you know. But it was still – you got to, you know, for, its, for his time, he was utterly dominant, um, oh, you know. And he was such a physical force as well. Like, in real life, you got a real appreciation for how physically strong he was as well. You Barry can Very physically strong.
0: You can just see there's there's people you look at It's like Doyler. You would look at Doyler and you go, "Yes, he's strong." You know, it's a, it's he's that strong. it's he like a rhino. Yeah. Yeah, you look at the it's back of him. Like, big, big, big ass, big traps, big neck. Yeah, neck, big thing. neck. Yeah. And you just know you like if you're a fighter and you see a bodybuilder come in, you're like, "Sweet," but soon you see mm. a guy with a huge back and that posterior chain, mm. you're just like, "Fuck, he's going to shoot me into this fucking cage, and I'm not going to do." Yeah, know, yeah. You know what's coming? I know. Off topic, there, but you just mentioned that uh, you bought the gym, Centaur. Mm. How do you mm. feel about How did you feel about that closing? I personally,
1: you know, it was it was sad. It was sad to see it to to, to, to do that because there was there was boys there. It was more for the members and the workers, to be honest. Um, it wasn't up to me really to, to, to feel sad about. The gym had a hell of a run; it was open sixty years. Yeah, Do you know what I mean, and and it was still thriving. You know, it was a logistical reason um, for why it had to for why it had to close, and there was absolutely no choice. You know, um,
0: I never so, trained, in it, but I you know obviously I did train down there. You know, with the kettlebells and I went to seminars and all, but I never it was never like a member. But even I felt a bit of nostalgic and sadness. When right, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there was were, I, it,
0: that and the, call yeah. Of the two gyms that I love. Ah, that, yes. You know that spit and sawdust. You knew you walk in. You, you walked in. There was duct tape around the seats. There was none of this fucking oh everything's lovely and clean. They're rusting the bars. The, the, there was clanging of metal, and there was something that said to you, when you're coming in here, you're not here to talk. You're here to train. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of gym environments today. It's two Instagram. Totally. And you need that. There's something about you know, big strong men lifting big heavy weights, screaming and grunting and dropping the weights, that makes you go, "I need him here to fucking train." And you're going to hit PRs, mm. mm. you
1: know. I think I know. I- it's it's almost castrating to walk into um a too 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 much of a sterile environment where everything's restricted, and it's a bit like it's a bit like the gym equivalent of demolition man. Enhance your calm, John Spartan. You know, like. <laughs> let think happy, happy, joy, joy thoughts and no chalk here. You know, it's like, uh, like, you know, no, that's not, that's not, it's, you can still, I mean, listen, you can make it work, but it's not optimal. There's no, there's no doubt about that. It's not the optimal um, primal experience to take a, to take a word from the, from the name of your actual gym. Um, It's not, it's not, it's not the, the, the raw primal experience that, that we want as human beings, really, when we're in that type of environment.
0: Even you Primal, know. I don't, I, like, I would rather, if I could model Primal the way I would want it, mm. I'd have it more like that rusty, spitting sawdust, mm. just smelly, so that sort of glove, that boxing glove smell about the place, you know, just...
1: But well, <laughs> well, there's too small of a percentage of people who would get
0: that's, it. That's the <laughs> I was actually, I was showing Gail um C.T. Fletcher video yesterday, and there's a video, yeah. the one where he talks, and he's just... They just interviewing him, who, who knowing who he was, and there's a rat runs across the floor and it's <laughs> But you even automatically, I was going, God, I want to be there, I want to lift. Some uh, yeah, there. yeah,
1: I, yeah. I
0: don't, I don't know, there's a
1: there's a there's a fine line between sanitation and rustic, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we need to walk that one. But at the same time, yeah, in terms of the actual equipment, you know. I often, I often, when I was um, anytime I've ever sold a piece of equipment, and anybody says to me or bought it for that matter, um, I'll bat for I'll bat for for near full price if it's a good piece of equipment because see at the end of the day, if it's not bent and it's not later than it used to be, it's, it has the same. Fun. It's not a car. People sell equipment like they're selling cars. You know, oh that there's ten years old. I'm going to pay half price for it. It's like listen, hold on a second. It's no later. It, does, it functions exactly the same way, you know. There, there are some specialized bars that are made out of that that elasticity. To be fair, but if you're talking, if you're just talking bog standard basic weights, dumbbells, weight plates, things like that, they don't really depreciate.
0: No, you The only thing I think like
1: they get better when they, when they start looking rusty. That
0: oh has more God, value to me. 2007, <laughs> I bought my my kettlebells. right, <laughs> uh, they're still they're the same weight. Still, see me. It's still working perfectly. In fact, I like them better because they're all chipped and they're all yeah, yeah. Off and, and it says to me these things. are scars. Yeah, they, they've they've done they've done what they're meant to do. Yeah, pristine, beautiful, lovely, shiny. Again, well,
1: something looks untouched. It probably is, and that yeah. says more than you know.
0: But I, I think that's the culture where it's sort of the fitness industry is moving towards. It's all about the image rather than the actual practical use of stuff, mm. and it's what's. Mm. I think it's one of the things that's pissing me off about the industry, actually, you know, I just, mm. the, the, the work ethic is gone, you know, mm. for all mm. the scientists. Sometimes, like, you're, you're, big, you're big into science and math, and science has evolved things, but sometimes science just can't take in the emotion of a human being. You well, that's the, true. The drive of a human we being. Haven't, we, haven't yet,
1: we haven't yet got that much of, a, of an accurate grasp of it to be able to apply that to the complexity of of something like that. Like, no him. Him.
0: Who do you call him? Oh God, his name's gone. You brought over the strong man, mountains on the traps of mountains.
1: Oh, Bill Kazmer.
0: Bill Kazimer. I I actually that video was actually on the YouTube. I don't I do a vlog and that. Yeah. That story, just I still watch. That. I would watch that video a couple of times a year because yeah. he's just like see he seemingly goes like, ah oh, yeah, I tore this bicep and then I tore this and I done this and I dragged this and I still lifted. You're like. What the fuck? It's you when you when you have the will of a human being, mm. it can it can make science look obsolete. You know, just there's no answer to it. So
1: here's what I'm gonna say, right? And you can take this to the bank. We can take it anywhere you want. I don't care. But you can take it to the bank first, first and foremost, and then take it somewhere else. Um, tell them I sent you. Science and programming, and I'm. I'm I'm known as, as the programming guy. I'm known as the math guy behind programming. And it's hugely important if you want to optimize performance. And that's true. And it probably is the most important general factor because not everybody has everything, if that makes any sense. Not everybody has the genetic advantages. Not everybody has the psychological and emotional advantages, that uh, go along with the physical advantages. Um, but there's absolutely no one who gets to the top of anything, especially the crazier things to get on top of like combat sports, collision sports and strength sports, probably the most like, you know, testosterone driven, mm-hmm. I could die mm-hmm. sports, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, uh, you're, you're not getting to the top of any of those endeavors without a hefty dose of, I don't care about the consequences. Um, and you know, that has to be tampered because it has to. you have to progress intelligently and not tear yourself apart. And I would argue that maybe Bill would have got even further if there had been somebody on his shoulder to tell him not to do certain things at certain times. But, A, would you rack somebody like Kazma by by trying to change him? And, B, who's going to tell him? <laughs> Number two, yeah. he's £330 and can juggle £300 Atlas stones. Um. And, and also you know if you're going to spend one thing's for sure one thing's for sure all the guys who and I know plenty of them and I can understand the thought process over why they're like this um, but at the same time they should be less like that if they want to actually become or to achieve the thing that they're doing it for so that sounds cryptic without explanation but if you're one if you're one of these guys who overanalyzes the biomechanics and you know all the different planes of motion and and, and, and all the de- the degrees of your hips to this to that the ratio to the engagement of this and all the the, the integral minutiae right of, of training and anatomy and physiology with every movement that you make, right? And you're you're excessively pedantic about movement perfection over programming, over actually getting it done and showing up, you end up majoring in the minors, right? You have all this knowledge on, on on the minor details, but you only have minor knowledge on the major details because the major details of how to get better are only discovered when you're walking the walk, right? And you cannot fully understand what it is to, to get strong and to make someone else strong unless you've actually done it. Now, I'm not saying you have to be strong to to make someone strong, but you have to understand how to make significant improvement, right? You might never be considered impressively strong, but relative to your starting point, has the improvement been impressive? Have you been able to do that with other people? Maybe you've never trained a world-class lifter. Maybe you'll never be one yourself. But have you made world-class improvements in people and yourself relative to your own genetic ceiling, that's the sign of somebody that knows what they're talking about. Not somebody who can, um, you know, wax lyrical on anatomical jargon yeah. on the day and night. You know, if you spend too long looking at something and not actually doing it, you're never going to achieve anything. I know guys who literally won't make a, a, a bar a kilo heavier um, if somebody has three degrees of, of flexion in their lumbar spine at the bottom of a rock bottom pistol squat or something like that. And it's like, I don't want to add strength to this function. Listen, you need to have some strength first before you add anything to it. Yeah. You know, you need, we, we, you know, or, or, you know, that get up was like four degrees out of alignment and you're, you know, you know, you you put your foot three inches too far that way. And all these things are good, right. But you don't want to, you don't want to put too much, Though that's the garnish, that's not the meat and potatoes, and you, people need to understand that. And I think one of the reasons why people make that the main course instead of the garnish or the hors d'oeuvres is because it's easier to delve into that and um, and, and build this like sugar pedestal. To, 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 to steal a phrase from uh, Jeff Thompson, um, a sugar pedestal with which to put yourself on. Yeah. But it's just like, just like any of those sugar pedestals as it comes to um, traditional martial arts sometimes and, you know, fake black belts, which I hope we get into.
0: Like uh, that guy. I <laughs> very- hear yeah. man you
1: shoot me the other day. <laughs> unbelievable. As soon as you turn up the heat, that sugar pedestal just melts. Um, and, and that's the heat of real competition because money talks and bullshit walks. And that is just a fact. And if, if unless you're actually producing something, that is as outstanding as it sounds, then it's not that outstanding. And, and as Einstein once said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it well enough yourself. Um,
0: well, tell me You're known as the guy, like I, I've sort of adopted your philosophy. I think it's the best way to train, not trying to from others, But from experience and from a planet to hundreds of people, I do believe the comfort zone is the, you know, expand that comfort zone. And it still hasn't caught on. I don't mm. understand why mainstream fitness industry is not applying that because it works and it works so mm. fucking well. It's, and I, I like it especially because it allows me to train older men, older bodies in a safer way and still produce phenomenal results. And like mm. you said, it's all about the manipulation of numbers and figures and weights and sets and all. But if you're designing the program, what is what are what are the what are the like what's the foundation for you that what I'm bringing in like a pyramid style what is it you need to focus on to build the best foundation in a program build?
1: Well in order to in order to expand a comfort zone, you have to establish one in the first place. so the base and this is this is something that that is actually well established long before me because if you look at the if you look at the the progressively better ideas. Of strength, of strength programming thus far, even taking whatever I've done, with whatever I feel I've done on top of that um, out of the equation, we see that, that there's, a, there's a, a direct linear one-for-one correlation between time spent training in relative comfort and the overall productiveness of the training cycle or training ethos as a whole. So to put that in the in the real terms, let's take like the failure model, the typical... Three sets of ten to failure. Um, that 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 that's quite threatening to the central nervous system, and thus elicits uh, an equally, um, you know, a directly proportional threat response from from the central nervous system and subsequent adaptive responses therein. And you know that's going to that's going to be perceived as most threatening. And then if you go along the lane, you see different progressions. You end. You end with the evolution of strength cycling when it becomes comes to actually intensity cycling. Now, intensity cycling can take on many different f- patterns, right? Everything's maths, everything's de- geometry. Um, even before some of the stuff that I'm doing. Like easily, it's all numbers. Like maths exists before anything existed, before humanity existed, before the world existed, potentially before the universe. We don't know. Um for, your head would explode. <laughs> it's like a, it's like what came first there, the chicken or the egg? Ah, no, there is no chicken. Listen, I don't know who knows? But everything, suffice to say, everything's math as far as our lately evolved ape brains can configure. Can um, so when we look at that as, as it applies to strength programming, we see that intensity cycling has been the best idea thus far with strength athletes. So one of the things, it, things it, are it, characteristic, intensity it, it, cycling okay oh, sorry. sorry so for the people watching this who just heard me going to Greek for a second <laughs> um, there are there are training variables that you can manipulate to bring about a change in physical capacities or in, phys- in physical capacity and, and you know there are many but the main ones are volume which is defined within the context of strength and conditioning as well it can be defined a few ways but the total number of lifts that you do, is probably the most late term to do it. And that can be total tonnage. It'll all be represented within that, the total number of lifts that you do, the most reps you do, the most sets you do, the, the, the sum total of all that will add up in a number of different ways. Density, how long it took you to do it, okay? Or the time frame, or the time factor. And intensity, now, there's a few different ways to define intensity. If you're, if you're coming from a bodybuilding magazine heavy background, well, which probably nobody is anymore because magazines aren't really a thing, but a bodybuilding online forum heavy background, intensity is kind of defined as percentage of momentary effort relative to, you know, you're trying your hardest, i.e., an RPE scale. But if you're talking about the Eastern definition, which is what I am referring to, it's proximity to your one rep max. So intensity, as I'm talking about now, when I talk about intensity cycling, is proxim cycling the proximity to your one rep max, i.e. percentages of your one hundred percent, the one hundred percent heaviest weight you can lift in any given way, any given lift. Okay? You're
0: everything off your one RM.
1: Yes, a percentage of your one RM. Okay, so if if it's a, if it's eighty percent intensity, then you're eighty percent of the proximity to your one RM, right? And that, and that and that's what you're using. So. Intensity cycling involves you know starting at a given percentage and via a number of different patterns that are available, either linear, which is literally just odd and weight every time, or a wave, which is more which is more cyclic, so to speak, in that it starts lower, goes a bit higher, comes back a bit, goes a bit higher, comes back a bit. The kind of two steps forward, one step back, you know, one step back, two steps forward approach. Um, starts off somewhere, usually comfortable, almost always comfortable, and slowly cycles towards the point where several weeks down the line is, is, is when you're starting to do your first workouts that are making you work for it. And this time spent training in relative comfort enables the central nervous system several weeks down the line um, to lift heavier weights than what would have been previously possible had you just tried to do it on day one. The means by how that happens can be many and can be theorized. Um, increased neurological efficiency. I.e. We have a, a set number of motor units that we're allowed to use within any given muscle group to do any particular movement, and we can't go beyond that that percentage of available motor units. Okay, And we know that there is such a ceiling that is, that is exercised physiologically um, and neurologically within our bodies. And for most people, it's like 30% of the motor units that are available and even elite weightlifters when we talk, are only talking maybe 50%. And again, that's a chicken-egg scenario. And we're not really sure, was it the training that got them to 50% or are they elite weightlifters because they are born with 50% innovation? Or something or, or what's what's likely to be the case is somewhere in between those two, like a combination of the two, if I had to guess. But there's a ton there's not a lot of research people all, always assume that there's so much research in strength and conditioning. There's really, really not. The majority of human research is in medicine and different things that that are more universally applicable to the quality of human life. Things like that for cosmetic purposes and um, diet in particular and, and, and training programs especially uh, and strength acquisition aren't, aren't really fully understood. But we know that there's a buffer and that we know that spontaneously we can be, we as human beings when maximally innovated can, can be capable of superhuman strength. Um, so whether or not, and we know the central nervous system is the governor of this and, and, and the various physiological adaptations in the body um, come about as a result of commands which are, are, are put into place by this mechanism. So the best way to think about it, you know, whether or not you're being allowed to use less of a predetermined limit or whether or not you're being facilitated to use a higher percentage of what was previously unavailable, it really doesn't matter because it's still a governor in the CNS. Mm-hmm. It's still, you're still having to convince something which is actually you but it helps pragmatically speaking practically to think about it as a separate entity from yourself even though it's not yeah which is your own cns you still have to convince it that you are safe and to allow you to use more strength rope because strength from a from a pragmatic real world perspective can sometimes be viewed as as a dangerous thing by the body's various systems which is probably why that that trip switch is set so low in terms of the maximum amount that you're allowed. It's almost like a wayward child. You wouldn't give a shotgun to a two-year-old. It'll <laughs> hurt itself. Do you know, or mind? somebody else. I am superhuman. Do you know what I mean? Think about think about what can happen. You're going to hurt yourself. I mean, people hurt themselves anyway. And you know, and we're not even allowed to use our full force. Um, and, and we we there ha- has been studies shown, um. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's studies, but there's some empirical evidence to suggest that when human beings are struck by lightning or maximally innovated in the electric chair, for example, that the actual muscles snap our own bones. They produce so much force that they, when we are 100% innovated, we tear ourselves apart, literally. And that, that, that's actually theorized as why some of the theories of demonic possession when people are being, well, the devil was, was trying to get out when such and such was being executed, because they break the electric chair, and, and like you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time. But it, uh, reportedly, at least in in, in terms of um, pop culture reference, anyway, uh, yeah. urban legend has stated that these things have happened. But it's easy to see how it could happen. Um, so th- these strength can be viewed as as a measured poison that we're only allowed to use when we absolutely have to do it. Well, so the best way, sorry, so I just want to finish, 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 finish So the best way, the best way to ensure that your body allows you to get stronger is to do training for the most part that is both simultaneously progressive but non-threatening. And that that that's mathematic gymnastics that are required that might go outside the scope of what we're doing here to fully explain the minutiae of high to do that um, because it really depends on a number of variables and who we're talking about and what lift we're talking about and a number of things. But but what you're trying to do is organize the math around it in such a way that the, the variables are increased, volume, intensity, density, or any one of those three, or distance, okay, or strictness. You can cycle strictness. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can cycle ROM, all that stuff without a proportionate increase in RPE. So the variables are increasing, but the RPE isn't isn't is deviating from that. They're, they're not going up linear to each other.
0: RPE is rate lower relative.
1: The, that's stronger. That's you stronger.
0: That's RPE is rate of extra rate of perceived exertion. Just for people Yes again, sorry, I'm talking
1: more. in Greek again.
0: Anytime I, off, anytime I go
1: off, anytime I can rely on you to keep me on track for, for really people in. who don't,
0: so then don't tell don't me agree
1: it's in right. physiology.
0: Your methods are sort of uh they're they're left field of what normal science data tells us. You know, we need for in order the, the, the data tells us we need adaptation in every workout, or we need some sort of to push ourselves towards a limit to create adaptation, sorry. But yours don't so I take it to you think like overall volume is must be crucial for you if you want to stay within the parameters of like, you know, comfort? You have to yeah
1: i like I like to play with higher volumes I do because if something's easy then you can build it up higher and if you're doing more total tonnage you're you know you're you're having more of an effect in a different way and you're also you know you've got the opportunity to develop more neurological efficiency because it's, it's a greater amount of skill practice it's almost like um, are you going to kick a bag ten thousand times at full force you know it's often stated that you know, well, not until your form's perfect, you probably shouldn't. You 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 should get to the point where you should, but if your form's not perfect, then as fatigue sets in, you're not even gonna notice that your movement patterns are starting to deteriorate more and more. And then what you're actually pattern is just pot patterning. Sorry, my Belfast fast accent. Um, is just a shitty kick. Okay. Yeah. So it's act it's actually if you can if you can kick I don't know if you've ever tried it. But especially things like sidekicks kicks and roundhouses, if you try to do that shit slow, it's harder it's muscularly, yeah. really hard you know it's it's easy for me anyway to flick my leg up really high if I'm using like a, a an elastic rebound, but if I'm doing that slowly, like the way you see Van Damme doing in the movies right it's harder muscularly but if you can if you can pattern something slow if you can do you have to be able to master something easily before you can master it difficult in a difficult way so even from a technical execution perspective i will do things certain ways that i that 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 are going that are going to be required when it's heavy even when i don't need to do it when it's light because if you don't if you don't pattern it when it's light it won't be there for you when it's heavy because that's increased pressure, you yeah. know? And doing all those lighter reps allows you to build the skill of, of perfect execution as well. And that, that's even, that's a, that's a side note um, from a programmatic perspective. Like, if you watch me press a kettlebell, you'll see that in Technicolor because the reality of a, of a one-arm press, which most people don't realize let, let, let's say, I know I'm going off topic again, but we're getting into something
0: else. Let's go. We'll be in soon, so don't worry, we're going to be
1: I'm expecting, I'm, I'm expecting any day now, actually, anyway, no, I'm only joking, but, well, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be
0: talking about that, we'll be <laughs> talking about that.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, but, so, if, if, if we look at, if we look at the one arm kettlebell press, let's say, you're, you're, uh, well, you're a strength coach, but kettlebells is, is one, one of your favorite tools. Um, and the kettlebell press, let's face it, especially among men, is maybe the favorite exercise of of, of to get good at. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: out of the kettlebells, it's kind of like the it's kind of the, the bench press, press, the press the for people that like kettlebells.
0: You I've come around to thinking the clean and press is the ultimate exercise. I've, I've it's the incredible. I, I would
1: I, I would agree that it's definitely it, it could very well be. Um, in terms of you're hitting absolutely everything if you're doing the clean and press. The clean portion hits everything that the press doesn't, and the press, vice versa. Really,
0: you know. I used to um, love my snatch, but now I've gone off snatch.
1: Aye, well. great die only. Belfast people are laughing as well, but that's all right. Um,
0: Learned to love your yeah.
1: snatch. <laughs> I was the clock was ticking before it went somewhere inappropriate. <laughs> um. But the kettlebell press is like the is like the, is like the the bench press for people that like kettlebells and especially men. It's the big show off lift that everybody likes, and let's face it, that's the one that everybody wants to be best at. For some reason, and I'm no different, men, if we're honest, seem to measure ourselves by our ability to to lift heavy things in general, but particularly to press things over our head or off our chest. For Why some do you reason. Ah. I think it's because it goes back to, especially the over the head, it goes back to like the base of our evolution. Like, if you pick, you, what can you do to, to demonstrate strength in the wild when there's nothing around? You can it's pick things, you can fight someone, or you can pick something heavy up off the ground. And what's the ultimate place for it to go? The ultimate show of strength is to put that over your head and yeah. then potentially throw it. You know, if you think it's like rah, it's like King Kong, you know, it's like Tarzan. So there's something there's something in our base DNA that that you make that association, you know, oh no, you know, he could pick me up over his head and throw me. You know, there, there's something that, that, that goes right to the soul of who we are. But that press, if you're doing it with one arm, you know, there's a there's a few technical adjustments that you need to make if you want to optimize it. So you know and 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 you can train, and you can train it you can train it in terms of progressive uh, strictness but we'll talk about that so let's say it's a cattlebell especially if it's a barbell and you've seen me do those with a seven foot long Olympic barbell is way over here well what's the goal of a press It's to be able to eventually lift a heavy weight and that's eventually depending on who you are going to become an increasingly higher percentage of whatever your body weight is right so If the goal is to lift a high percentage of your body weight, then everything that you need to do, both technically and programmatically from the start, needs to reflect what the end goal is, not what the start of it is. Otherwise, it's going to inhibit your ability to get there. At some point on a one-arm press, even with a kettlebell, but especially with a barbell, you are going to have to shift the percentage of of your body weight to the opposite side of the pressing arm other ways you will do a cartwheel. It's just, it's a biomechanical fact. If you think about it logically, especially if you're standing in a military press position with a relatively close, heels together stance, you're done, you need to base that base out a bit, and you need to put a percentage of it to the opposite direction, otherwise you're gonna do a cartwheel. Now, this, this is reflected in a lot of like one arm press test standards, like the beast tamer challenge and strong first, Says they're right in the rules. Moderate sidling is allowed. Okay. Now, obviously, moderate is like how long is a piece of string. Yeah. And minimal is how long is a piece of string, and excessive is how long is a piece of string. But right, what is agreed is once once an object goes beyond a certain percentage of your body weight, you've got to go that way a bit in order to do it. Right. You're not lifting it with anything. The prime mover is still the deltoid, right? Because it's the muscle that exerts the, the the first movement on the object. If you sit with a 48 kilo kettlebell on your hip and you lean in a front rack, not a side rack, crucially, and you lean as far to the side as you can, the only thing the muscles of your spine are gonna be moving is your spine. The kettlebell is gonna still be there, right? It's easy to test, right? If you want that to go up, the thing that's initiating the movement is the deltoid, yeah. right? And the secondary muscle group is the tricep right? But the point the point of moving the torso to the side is to improve the leverage. It definitely makes it easier to lift a heavier weight. To improve the leverage that the prime movers are able to work under, right? Number one. And number two, to stop from doing a cartwheel once the percentage of your body weight gets too high. Okay? So, I have been practicing pressing with a, a, a varying degrees, somewhere between moderate and excessive, if I'm honest, deliberately to get as strong as possible in the one-arm press with the goal that I have this year of pressing 100% body weight on either a barbell or a kettlebell with There's no leg Right. So what I'll make that announcement that? right here on the Dad Bod Real Men talk. Uh, I'm gonna, what and that has never been that? done before. What are you sitting at? It should be close, Paul, to be honest. But you know me, I want to, I want it to look easy by the time I do it. I don't want it to look hard.
0: You see, I was um, going to speak to you about that because the, the feat you've just done, like I, I followed it with uh, interest massively. You used using my bell as well. To, to, That's I true. I of my bell to go into the
1: There was somebody <laughs> sent me a PM and said, you can help me out here, Paul, right? There was yeah. somebody who sent me a PM and said, you were showing the weight to the camera, but I couldn't see it. That could have been any weight. I said, well, Paul Murray's
0: cattle, Bill. <laughs> I've got, the, I've got, the, I've got the, the twin of it. In the, in yeah, the, it's 40 kilos, guys. 40 kilos, 100%. But listen, the whole thing about that was like, it's, it's, it's unfathomable for most people to realize, you know, 40 kilos, 40 reps by your 40th birthday. Mm. And the rep one was identical to rep 40. Mm, and it looked easy Everything. How long did you train for that? Four years, four, how about
1: about that? For for fours, you know, me and my numerical symmetry. (laughs) Um, that pleases me that it took four years. Um, maybe that was something subconscious that I was stretching out, but no. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just just gonna say because, like, I was the reason I'm asking that is because you know what my goal is the 40 for 40, yes, that's right,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I was, just, I was curious because I remember watching you doing it and I had just pressed the 44 for the first time two weeks beforehand three weeks beforehand and I felt like king dick and then you walked up with 40 kilos the four kilo less and pressed it for 40 times like it was nothing and you just I just felt like quitting at that moment in time thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was like I was thinking four and a half years for me to get this 48 for 48 or forty-eight, would encompass my hip replacement coming through and all it's like do you is it were you training three days a week, five days a week, four days a week? What was it? What was your training cycle for this? Did it vary? It
1: varied. It, 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 it invariably varied a lot because um, life. Uh, it coincided with probably the hardest four years of my life, both personally and professionally. Right. Um. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to put your listeners on a diner, but it was. Yeah, I
0: understand your parents. and Your parent, mother and everything. My mother died,
1: and she was terminally ill for most of that time period. And I have three kids and I had global business and I was traveling the world and I was speaking at events and I was teaching at certifications and I was, I was helping with the kids and I was running a gym at that time, which is also one of the reasons why, you know, in many ways, Centaur closing was a blessing for, for me, um, because it was just, uh, yeah, you know,
0: personally makes life my, my, my
1: main breadwinner had not been the gym for a long, long time. It was mm-hmm. the global entity of the Amazing 12, and it was it was love that I was keeping Santor open for more than more than you know. How do you
0: feel that like, you speaking for an hour and you haven't, haven't spoken about day 12 really? That's fucking almost be a fun Do you want to know something?
1: I'm actually enjoying it. To be
0: I fair. <laughs>
1: it's a break, mate, and, and long may it continue, but. It was a tough four years, it was a very tough four years, and I was splitting my time between the house and my mommy's house, my house, my mommy's house, the hospital, my house, mommy's house, the hospital, and the emotional drain was just immense. So the training was always was all at home as well. Um, yeah, it was mostly all at home, because of a gym in my house, which I'm fortunate to have at, at this time, especially. And it was just very hard. It was it was if I had if it was more idyllic circumstances, I'm certain I could have done it in half the time. Um, so I think that bodes well for what you're doing because I'm able I'm helping you with it. It's it's I'm programming yeah. it for you. You're having to carry it out. <laughs> been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got the easy job, you have to it's, do uh, it.
0: Like, you know, so I'm enjoying the process, but it's 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 challenging. Like there's a lot of times I just don't want to, you know, like my pain levels of maybe six or seven, like I can't be harsh doing this, but what I find is, see if I just suck it up and just actually get started. Mm. By the end, of the, by the end of the sets, I'm actually in less pain than I was. Maybe mm. it's orphans released, or maybe it's the dopamine. I know, but I feel better from it. But it's always that for me. It's always been the mental aspect of like, "Fuck, I've got to do this." Mm. I, I think the process. I think my, my goal of pressing forty eight kilo, I could have got it. I, I was four. I was I was four kilos off, it, I would have got it maybe about six weeks.
1: Yeah, but.
0: Well, this will this will
1: swallow that anyway. By like you know
0: yeah. what I mean. By, by the time I get the forty-four kilo, I still want to press the forty-eight, and I'll still celebrate getting it. But it doesn't seem like it seems like no. a very average goal. Yeah, like, you know, people do. It. You know, I, I thought yeah. forty-eight for 48, 48 clean hand press is going to be a more it's going to be a more complete program training because you say clean hand press is like the mm. yin and yang of the training. But I, I just think this the feat of doing it will be unbelievable.
1: Yeah, be, yeah, no, really shit. well. The cleaning press has advantages and disadvantages in terms of it's harder and easier in some ways than, than, than the press goal. It's easier in that the rack position isn't as important because you're getting that alleviation from the clean. And it's harder, though, in that you're using so much more muscles and the cardio's far higher. On the press, you can just sit there. And it's more about flexibility, mobility, a technique precision of the rack and then just strength and strength endurance at that point there's there there's a mental strength aspect to it but the cleaning press is way more cardio there's definitely it's a it's, a, it's more brutal in, the, in that way and maybe a wee bit less burning for the shoulder because you know you know what it's like to do gs with two bells when you're not allowed to re-clean it it's like yeah. it just it just burrs into your forearm because it never leaves it it Just burrs into your shoulders, into your hips, and everywhere because you're never, you know, you're I'm only rest your overhead, and that's not really rest.
0: It burst into your you soul, know? it's the most destru- destructive thing for your mind that you can do. It's I tough, think- G.S. Oh. It's <laughs> you know? I was talking to David Keown actually on Saturday or Sunday, we're doing oh, nice. Good lad. and we were just talking about like he done. I couldn't believe it, he'd done two hours non stop. Long, long second, long yeah. second.
1: Two twenties, I think. I mean, yeah.
0: yeah, two sixteen. Two
1: 16, two 16 yeah, I think insane. you made it. In, you made it in an hour with twenties. It, it's insane! Yeah,
0: I don't understand that. Did you try five minutes and then you? Then I know, like,
1: I know. Yeah, well, well, big, especially big strong guys. Big strong guys look at something like that and go two twenty kilo cap. You know, that's nothing. Mm, give it a
0: shot. I think. You see, that's the whole thing. It's like. I always use the argument, the discussion that you know, on one end you've got gymnastics, on one end, the other end you've got powerlifters. And the powerlifters are absolute strength. They could outlift anyone. But if you cross if they go to if you if you swap sides, the gymnast is always gonna fur better than the powerlifter, and the powerlifter will fur gymnastics. Simply oh, yes. because, because of the like the 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 overall volume of the gym are doing, the, the, the recycling, the, the, the continuous movement as opposed to just one single leftover time. And I think mm. strong men, when the big strong guys, they're, they're thinking, oh, I can bench out for five reps. I can bench out for 10 reps. It's different when you're going up to hundreds of reps. All yeah, of a sudden- yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing about powerlifters and, and, and strong men and stuff. <clears throat> Obviously, the bigger they are, the less repeatable their feats are, Right. And and there's, there's 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 a release. this you'll find this interesting. And when I say it, you'll go, that's obvious, you know, but nobody ever thinks of it. There's a there's an inverse relationship between upper end and, and lower end of power in terms of body weight of powerlifters, um and their ability to repeat gymnastic feats and the gymnastic the gymnast's ability to repeat powerlifting feats, the bigger the power lifter the less likely he is to be able to repeat the gymnast's feet and the less likely the gymnast is to be able to repeat his feet. The smaller the power lifter, the more likely he is to be able to approximate the gymnast's feet um, and the more likely the gymnast is to be able to lift his weights on, on the barbell. So it's a beautiful wee relationship um, between the two, but you still have to have – it's different – it's a wee bit different. Like, a, I remember there was a show on. God, it had to be. It has to be 15 years ago. Do you remember a TV show with, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but he played He played uh, Phil Mitchell on, in EastEnders, and it was a show called Britain's Hardest. Grant, yes, Grant Mitchell, hear me.
0: Um, fucking Ross Kemp.
1: It, well, no, it's not Ross Kemp. It's Phil. Phil was the narrator of this show. I know the one you're thinking of where where he does like uh Britain's hardest Jails and this and that right, Astros camp. Yeah. I think Phil Mitchell did a show specifically called Britain's Hardest. Right. It may yeah. even have been spelled Artist, you no, know, like like the, yeah. the tar- well, I'm right. not I'm not sure, but it may have been just hardest, I'm not sure. But it was like a it was like a cross between gladiators and like, you know, some sort of prison rules thing where these dudes would go in and they'd have to do all sorts of strange stuff, like kick doors through, in, in a row. And then at the end, they had the fight. Right. Um, and and but it wasn't you weren't allowed to punch to the face, but you were allowed to do body shots and you were allowed to grapple. And you had to, it was like sort of like sumo wrestling and amateur MMA mixed in. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and you were able, you had to throw them like a like a D class fight or something from the old days, and you had to throw them off the circle. And you fell into like, like gladiators, you fell into like soft, soft yeah. stuff. And there was a power lifter who had a six hundred pound deadlift, and his numbers were insane. Sorry, the three hundred kilo deadlift, so that's okay. six sixty one. And as you know, he had big, massive bench. He was a tank. He couldn't kick the first door through because there was no par. Ironically, in the power lifter, there was a lot of strength, but it was that slow strength, that grindy sort of strength that he yeah. had, he didn't have that explosive strength, which a lot of powerlifters do have, but he didn't have it, because strength as a, as a pure measure exists outside of time, really, it's it describes maximum force exerted regardless of time, and then power brings that time element into it, i.e. strength, time, speed type of thing, And its most rudimentary description. Um. So there was a wee boxer guy, or he was in some form, like a wee wary dude who was like couldn't have lifted anything in relation to this guy. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's not the first door he kicked in, (laughs) he was was through those doors like I've never seen. He's either been chased by somebody or he was been been doing the chasing, I don't know what what it is, but that but it wasn't the first door he got through. Um, and he, he, he stuffed this guy. Completely. Okay, well,
0: tell me this then. Let's combine your two favourite sports strength and boxing. Who's gonna win? Eddie Hall or the, <laughs> the
1: uh, Oh uh, that's a that's a funny one. Um
0: <sighs> I
1: have a feeling Hathor.
0: See everyone's saying Eddie Hall, and then going right, I can understand it. Like Eddie Hall's more explosive, he's gonna be faster. Mm. But the size difference. Just half just, or six
1: foot nine, and he's a, he's athletic. Did you see him face Stevie Ward? No, he had an exhibition there with Stevie Ward. Stevie Ward was like a Commonwealth silver medalist in boxing, yeah. and I think he only has one defeat as a professional. The quiet man, Stevie Ward. Stevie Ward's six foot two, hundred kilos with single digit body fat. Like he's a monster. Yeah, and he can punch. Awesome. He's a big man, and he can punch. Um, and all right, maybe he wasn't going full blast on Hathor. I don't think he was, and that was an exhibition. But he was letting them have it, like he was letting them have it properly. Like, um, and it was only it was it was only a few rounds. But you I mean I mean he's he's he has slimmed the darn the 165 kilos with abs. <laughs> Sixty five. Because he was 204 kilos before that. What? Two hundred and four kilos, Jesus of crazy. mostly muscle. <laughs> forty He
0: lost forty kilos of fat. Or well, about, it, was it was probably fluid. Like uh, it was it's probably a enough. lot of fluid.
1: He definitely did lose a lot of fat, but it was probably a lot of fluid. He probably changed what what kind of gear he was on and and, and lo- dropped a lot of water. I mean that. I mean, listen. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he's he's not behind the, the door and 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 saying you're not going to be two hundred kilos without being on gear. <laughs>
0: See, us, see this attitude Like I'm not like uh, Live or not live I don't give a shit And I'm actually all for letting Olympic athletes take steroids Because they're all taking them anyway Like it's not
1: Yeah Let's just I mean, see how fast the can go <laughs> like, That's
0: that's my point like, See these guys These guys have got one goal in life They want to be the strongest They want to be the fastest They want to be the best Whatever they're doing We know the limits of human endurance Are going to be uh, Have a ceiling mm. We The Russians showed us That ceiling can be pushed the Chinese have showed us that Russians that that ceiling can be pushed a lot with the aid of chemicals. Mm. They're all doing it. They're all the, the only the only thing they're the ones that are not getting caught. Have got better doctors who are better disguising it. So I would be all for letting everyone take whatever they want to fucking do. It's their body, and let's see just how far the human body can be pushed. And that may be controversial, and people may be, all, I don't agree with that, but fuck you, I don't care. It's exactly.
1: You've never won the curve controversy, no, Paul. To be perfectly honest,
0: but like, but like, see that it's like people are in denial. See, like, oh, my hero would never take steroids. Fuck away off. Where well, there's money, there's corruption, and mm-hmm. when there's a, when there's a lot of prestige for the country, there's going to be a lot of corruption there to make sure it happens. I had, I had a big, I had a big argument one day with a, a guy on a couple of guys on um, Andy McKenzie's page, and they were like, "I trained Stephen Redgrave, name," and I like, well, I don't care. I don't give a fuck of your best mates. He's on fucking steroids. I don't give a fuck. He's got Olympic gold medals. He's on steroids. It's that simple. Yeah. Do you What's your opinion on that? Do you believe that there's Olympic gold medalists without gear?
1: Well, before I unpack that, I'm going to have to set the scene because it's a big question, and you've asked the wrong person because I I, I can't give quick answers. Um, It's a very interesting position that you have. It's a very interesting... I will admit that it would be very interesting to see um, without restriction what could be done. It could and it would be it would be more ethical, obviously, if the human beings involved in it were fully transparently, you know, not it's only not aware, happening. but wanting to do it of their own free will and and not in any way hurting anybody else. Um so right away, I think it should be non non- Combat sports. Combat sports is a weird one, even if everybody is consenting to do it. Gear can't do it, can't improve bone density and things like that. But it can't, if you know what I mean, there's only so much force that the human brain can take.
0: Yes, yes, I know. You know much. what you I'm going
1: with this. Yeah, a, the, the if
0: those if the, the people, people are
1: enhanced, there's just there's a greater risk of, of people dying. Yeah. Um which we should probably probably you know not allow that, but if it's if it's if it's and then and then you, know, you could argue the same thing is is true of collision sports like American football and rugby. Um,
0: yeah, that's why there but, is so much damage happening in football and rug, in American football and rugby because the the amount of steroids, the amount of testosterone, the amount of aggression, yeah. the wanting to hurt, especially in American football, there's a want to hurt in American football. It's like ego yeah. you feeling know, motherfuckers who just yeah. want to
1: kill. yeah. And, and it, it's it's a lot of people. We're going off on about six tangents. I'm going to try and keep it on track. But <laughs> a, lot, a lot of a lot of people think that American football, like I remember when I was growing up, my daddy even used to say, "Ah, oh, you know, they're they're big girls blouses and this and that. They've got all this padding on them. I'm They've got the helmet on, on them and rugby players are doing it right. They've got nothing on and they're tougher and this and that to a certain extent. Right. But. Not really, because when you put up when you put all that stuff on you and you change the rules a wee bit and allow tackles above the waist and this and that and you know they are hitting each other far harder than than those padding than that padding than the deficit that that padding is is making up. So it negates that the rules of the sport and the force that they're hitting each other with negates the padding. And I would say that unquestionably American football is is probably a more dangerous sport than rugby, but but back to the... Sorry, we going to say
0: something? I'd, I'd be in favour of American football adopting rugby-like things for safety. Yeah. Rugby, rugby boys don't... They, 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 when, you're, when your own safety is at, put at risk, mm. you know, the, the armour American footballers have give them... and they, They're the ones doing the hitting against usually a stationary object or someone not and waiting for that bracing for that impact then the ch- the you're going to hit harder because you've got this protection. If you've exactly. got the helmet removed, you've got all the shoulder pad, and you know that you're, it's a, like an, an immovable object hitting an unstoppable force. Yes. There's going to be yes. damage there, so you're going to be more cautious. Yes. And I think for safety, yeah. uh, especially young children and all, I think it'd be a better option, but anyway. Absolutely, was-
1: yeah, and it's, it's more placebo than anything as well, because as I say, yes. you're hitting them harder because you've got the pods, but you're hurting yourself more because you're hitting them harder, and it's like, it's like, Again, we're back to the chicken and the egg and all that. But yeah, in terms of in terms of chemical enhancement and sport, it's a strange one. I would say my view on it is much the same as it's always been, but it has evolved in, a, in, a, in an interesting way as I've become actually more involved in elite level performance with both myself and the people that I've trained. And when I see the level that is possible naturally, it has in, has evolved my viewpoint somewhat. Into well, I'll get to that. But first of all, yes, the vast majority. I think it would be naive to suggest that the vast majority of people at the in the upper echelons of professional sport aren't chemically enhanced. I, I think would go as far say are, if not ninety nine percent. Yeah,
0: I would go as far as say ninety nine percent of the elite are on gear. It's
1: hard. It's really hard. To, it's hard to know. You could be of right. It, of course it you, is. You it could is. be right. It could be a hundred percent.
0: I want 100%. to give one percent. I want to give humanity a hope. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do want you to know. give humanity. It's like the great white hope. You know, I'm the great white hope with the big, the white guy comes in, the, the heavyweight boxer. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I, want, I want to believe that somewhere out there, there's a Usain Bolt who didn't take gear. You know, Usain Bolt, well, I, I, love, I love to believe Usain Bolt's not on gear, but he is, but he's not, in my head.
1: Yeah. Well, see, here's where here's where I'm, here's where I'm where I'm going with it, right? You could be right. It could be ninety nine percent. It could be hundred percent. It could be sixty percent. I don't think it is. It could be seventy. I don't think it is. But we don't know, right? So the first thing we have to we can't go too. We can. It's fun to speculate, but if we're trying to if we're trying to give an accurate opinion, we shouldn't go too far beyond what we know for certain. What Did we do want to know dinner? for certain is that it's fairly prolific. We know that for certain, and we know that it comes in degrees, like everything else. There's shades of grey. There'll be people who are taking more than others, and there may there may be individuals who aren't. That's something that I wasn't willing to consider when I was in my twenties. I was very cynical in that I thought that absolutely nobody could could possibly be doing certain things without chemical enhancement, and that um, to suggest that you, that you could do that is naive. Until I started to until I got into strength and conditioning and achieved some of the things myself, right? <laughs> Completely drug free. And until I met John Gurdy, right? Uh, he's a big lad, Now, here's the thing he's a freak, right? Until I met, until I trained some people, not just John, many people who did certain things, 400 pound banchers, drug free. 400 plus,
0: 200 kilo benchers, drug free.
1: Marty McManus, um Joe Carl, Big John, you know, a lot of, a number of people, about four or five people, 180 to 200 kilo raw, drug free, right? My own, I, I've maintained double body weight. Now, double, double body weight isn't going to win you the world championships, right, in terms of
0: Nice we nice we tick in the box though, isn't
1: it? It's a hell of a tick that most people never see in their lifetime, unfortunately. And I don't think that's because solely of genetic gifts. I think it's because of um, inadequate programming and lack of dedication more than more than genetic gifts, but but definitely there's a there's a huge genetic component to it. Genetics are still the most important thing in elite level sport. Now, at elite level, everybody's got good genetics. So then that we need deciding factors. And some of those things can be things like chemical enhancement or, you know, more sophisticated, better programming or a technological advancement. Like, remember at the, the 92 Olympics when Chris Boardman got that, like, um, you know, revolutionary bike that was made out of this, like, oh, super yeah. nice material. And he went from being, like, ninth in the world or 14th or something like that to win in the Olympics by a hell of a margin. And he didn't actually increase his own physical capacities by much. It was the technology. So it's hard to it's hard to, it's a real, it's a real it's a it's a hard question to answer. I would say the vast I would say the vast majority um, of people at the highest level of sport are are chemically enhanced or are potentially chemically enhanced to varying degrees. But the bigger the skill component of the sport, the smaller the gross capacity aspect, I would say the small is, directly, is, directly, um, is probably directly correlated with the, the smaller or um, more de-emphasized influence on incidence of chemical enhancement. For example, it's not to say soccer players aren't and they're all clean, but you could see how a skill-based sport like soccer would have less of a need for certain anabolics, that's not to say anabolics wouldn't yeah, make anybody better, because if all other things are equal, you're still going to be a better player if you're, ca- if you're just you yeah. in soccer. So you can still see where the motivation would come from. But when I look, I have a less, I have a slightly less cynical view to it now. When I see when I actually was able to achieve some of the things that I didn't think were possible, drug free, you know. Well,
0: don't do it's going down. Because it, you... it, be, it
1: would be very egotistical of me to turn around and assume that I can do that with people, but that nobody else has done it anywhere yeah. in the world in Russia at all you know. So
0: I'm going to bring I'm going to bring your daughter into it because I'm watching with a renewed interest in your daughter's pistol squat journey because I'm so jealous of people who do pistol squats. <laughs> and her squat <laughs> is literally the most perfect squat. And yeah. actually <laughs> you can't squat. You see these things. You see you know what you can't see. You can't get yourself. Yeah, green, yeah. Greener. The grass is always
1: greener and yeah. all that.
0: Well, how much of that do you reckon is nature? How much ability do you reckon is nurture? Because you've got a five-year-old girl who's obviously watching daddy and wants to think daddy's the strongest man in the world and wants to emulate her. So, do you like if you've got her five years old and you get her to twenty-five, and you've got that attitude, and she's, she's surrounded by yours, she's you're surrounded by your work ethic, your programming. How much? Do you, how far do you reckon you could push? someone like your daughter in the in the world of sports like whatever she goes into and get that gives her a, it gives her that that nurturing gives her a far greater edge come to in her late teens early 20s
1: big time well the the two to quote uh to quote the great customado um if there's no spark you can't make a fire right and but if there is a spark all you need is a spark to fan it to become a flame and then feed that flame till it becomes a fire and then feed the fire till it becomes a roaring blaze and then throw huge logs on. It. I believe that's verbatim. And that applies in that without at this moment in time, it's probably 95% nature with Rachel um, because I'll tell you the exact history of her training was um, she, she started gymnastics and then it got stopped because of COVID. Um, she was she was in gymnastics two weeks and won a gold medal. They put her in some way like in-the-gym competition, and she won a gold medal, right? That involved like the has jump and all this, with like, and like I mean, it was just genetic, she was able to jump high. Um, I've always been like that. I was like Skippy the bush kangaroo, like in terms of like vertical jumps and all this. And so I decided I would start training her for that. And I was like, great, right, what have I got? This is before COVID put a halt to the gymnastics aspect of it. So I was like, right, we'll do different wee things. we will try and keep it fun for her. Her personality is, is, is the type that she doesn't really want. To. She's like very energetic and wants to always be outside playing with her friends. So you can't get her to do – it'll just put her off if you get her to do too much stuff. So once she was four, she was four when she started. Right, she Nearly five. It was like a, a couple of weeks off her fifth birthday. But technically she was four. Um, and I, on the first day I said, put her on a box and I, I was fairly high and I said, see, can you, can you get up? If you put one leg up and I give her some instruction and she stood up and I was like, Whoa. So I, then I got a lower box and a lower box until she was almost on the ground. And then I says, you know what? I wonder if you sit down with your two feet and you do everything that I just taught you, but you put your leg out then you reach forward and make tight fists. And she just stood up on one leg, pistol, first day. <laughs> and then I was like, right, I've got this, this cattle bill. Now, the cattle bill is only two and a half kilos, right? 5.5 five pounds, five and a half pounds, right? But at the time, she only weighed 40 pounds.
0: It's cute as hell watching her doing it,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's like 15% body weight or 16% of her body weight or something like that. She's about 45 pounds now, so what's that? 12.2% of her body weight, 5, 5, 2.2 and kilos, 12.2%. So that's, that's not an insignificant percentage of her body weight. On the first day, she did a weighted pistol as a four-year-old girl, right? So mm-hmm. I handed her the cattle bell next, essentially, was what was next. And I got the video camera and I said, if you do this, I'm videoing it. And it was like extra motivation, probably. And she came up perfectly. So from that point onwards, I've just been teasing it a wee bit here and there, not giving her too much to do. Um, and She's up to the point now where she's doing a racked pistol with this kettlebell easily. Like it's, she does a couple of reps. She could do over 10 reps. If if I put my mind in her body, she could keep going, but you wouldn't want She doesn't want to do things like
0: that. So what about She has a lot of
1: potential. To answer your question, I think she has a lot of potential. Has and when Luke you put got the, the nurture on top of that, God knows, you know. She's got very strong,
0: powerful legs. Has Luke got the potential? Or is he just turning the he-man? Luke, Luke is a genius, to be honest with you, Paul. I, um, I, some of his comments, some of the things you write up, I literally wet myself laughing. He's up there like... It's, it's there. insane.
1: It's insane, mate. Luke, Luke is, is physically athletic but doesn't care. And isn't very isn't very competitive at least at least thus far he hasn't shown a real desire
0: well, is he to, seven?
1: he's eight yep. you know so yeah so he's he'll be nine he's later this baby. year actually you wouldn't see the time
0: going in isn't that, um, he's only a baby he's only, a baby, though, so he's definitely
1: he's only a baby he's only a baby however right he is a tank see when he takes his top off biceps <laughs> triceps packs lots. <laughs>
0: he's just fucking
1: delts are huge. It's insane from me, he it was it's a baby. Crazy. You can see the shape it's of his It's insane. Right? It's nuts, right? I got him to hang off. There's a video of this in Carmel's phone. I'll have to find it somewhere. He hung off a bar in a playground last year for two minutes. No way. Right? I've got it in video. Two minutes. And he, he dropped down because he just wanted to. Now, I've got it in video, and you can judge. I'll send you. You can judge whether or not his art, where his RP was at the end. I'll let you be the judge. He was hanging off for two minutes. Now he's got a child's hands, and this was a thick bar, so it wasn't even a full grip. My God. Right? He can do a, a front flip thing that he does. We have a super king size bed. It's like a, for somebody his size, it's like a playground. <laughs> and from when he was about six, he just automatically does like a wee jump and front roll where his hands don't touch the ground and he lands on his feet. You know, so he can do these wee things and he's a wee tank, but he doesn't, like, see when it comes to sport or, like, if you say to Rachel, I don't think you can do it, right? She responds really well to negative reinforcement. I don't know what it is. Challenge. So if, you wanted, if you wanted to get her to, get her to do something, you, 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 you question her ability to be able to do it in a nice way.
0: But so, that's coaching it. that's it's under the coaching the secret of coaching know, is knowing the man and knowing the person you're coaching and, and you know coaching. I mean,
1: I know I'm not sure I'm not sure if you're ready for, knowing full well but she's not only ready for it. It's within 20 percent or 30 percent of her capacity. I'm not sure you're ready for that just yet. Maybe we'll try that another day. I want to try it now. right okay, well, I don't know. If that, <laughs> and then she does it like that. you know And if one of her friends does something she has to do it better. You know, Luke's not like that. He's very, he's very laid back. So, I think he has the physicality, but he doesn't. I don't think he, he sees the point in it because he's so cerebral. It's insane.
0: He's more like, into Star Wars than He-Man, isn't he? Like, he just he loves his He-Man figures. He walks about for fun with a calculator. Right? <laughs> he walks about for fun with a
1: calculator, putting numbers in and looking at them, and then going. Daddy, tell me or ask me what such and such plus such and such is. And then I'll go on. I'll go on and do it. Now we're talking triple digit numbers here. I'll say, well, then what's 346 plus whatever? And he'll tell you the answer quite quickly. Do you know? Do you know? It's funny how he memories His insane. See, if if you tell him what year you were born in, if you tell him what year you were born in, he'll instantly tell you what age you are. Now he's eight.
0: You've got your kids, have got each different traits of your own personality there. So, the yeah, math yeah. And the fucking physicality. Yeah, listen, before we finish off, we'll have to finish on what the most important topic what's happening with the aliens? <laughs> well, they're coming what?
1: Oh, and did they build the pyramids? I mean, that's oh, I mean, oh, listen, the, uh, the, uh, those two things kind of go hand in hand. Right? Really, don't
0: they? Let me tell you, Gail was just showing me an, a study that I can't remember. i like Gail. I'll have to find out where he's from, but there's a study that done that shows the energy coming off different pyramids around the world. It's actually wow. mass and energy. I, I must, I'll send you the link. I'll put the link in, in, the, in the, the, this building as well in case people want to watch it. But it shows you the actual um, thermo, thermo, thermo photographs of the different yeah, yeah. Yeah, like from energy yeah. from all the pyramids. So 100. Listen, it was, I was think Japan. The Japanese scientists tried for 30 years. To try to build a pyramid, replicate a pyramid, right? And the Huffington will do it, right? Where's your Where's the article? What's the article about the set of the pyramids? The pyramid. Send me up, send me a, please. I'll send you, I'll send you the ones. We can, <laughs> but yeah, aliens the, 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 do you think they've been here? Well, first of all,
1: nobody knows, right? I have to preface this with what we know and then get speculative. It's fun to speculate. At the end of the day, you know, if we look at the mathematical potential for life in the universe, in the universe, I mean, even in the Milky Way, the number of planets that are in the habitable zone, um, I'll, give, in you
0: terms the, of the I'll give you the proximity to their star. I'll give you the is figures.
1: Astronomical. You I'll give man? you it's,
0: the figures I know because I, read, I, read, I don't know, but I read as well. Yeah. It's,
1: it's, quite, it's quite literally astronomical. Boom. For
0: <laughs> every single grain of sand on this planet Earth, there are four habitable habitable planets on the universe? Is that right? Every single grain of sand, there are four right. That's insane. Like they can harbor life, and there's not we're the first ones. Get the fuck out of here. All uh, right, that's what well, missions. It's it's it's, it's you, would, you would have to say
1: that, um, there's actually there's a there's a there's a, a formula. I for the, the name, uncharacteristically, I forget it now. Um, but there's a there's a formula that calculates the probability of intelligent life in the universe. Um, and you would be su- you would be surprised now how quickly you can actually whittle the number down. Like we shouldn't one thing I will say, right? It's math it's it's could be spectacularly unlikely if there's no life anywhere in the universe other than planet Earth, right? No. However, we should also we should also, um, it's worth noting that astronomically speaking, life of any kind, and particularly life that develops in the complex sentiency as we have, is still exceptionally rare in terms of, astra- would, you know, by any any mathematical formula. Is coming up as something that is likely to be very exceptionally rare. So we are actually very special, even if even if even if there's millions of other planets that have life. That's still special astronomically speaking, if that makes any sense. Well, you, so it's still you, exceptionally do you, rare.
0: Do you listen to Graham Hancock or anyone that do you ever do you watch? The, yes,
1: like- yes, I'm a fan of of well,
0: I, I'm a big fan as well. I love Magicians of the Gods. I love his books, so, but like. The Ungodrius and, you know, Tepe and, you know, mm. this, this ancient civilization that, that we know mm. exists because we've got the proof. Like, history is written by the winners. And the, the, the reality is the most intelligent minds in the world, the scientists of today who tell us what to believe and what this is why, they're only going to speculate evidence. You know, the, like the archaeologists who are visiting or digging up Tepe they're trying to say it isn't this even though like you know you've got so much evidence of like what's the sphinx and the tenta Mm. how there's how there's like what proof of like water yeah there's water erosion
1: It, it looks if it's not water erosion i'm not sure what what it could be it looks very very reminiscent of water erosion and the problem with that is if anybody doesn't know by the way i haven't really studied this in any great detail and i hesitate with my analytical mind as, I, as, as it is, um, the disclaimer needs to be here I'm a strength and conditioning specialist, an exercise programmer. I'm not an Egyptologist, an archaeologist, or an anythingologist in that regard. I'm, I'm a sports scientist, and I'm a strength and conditioning specialist. However, um, and, and I have only had, I, I, can't, I can't hang my hat on, on anything close to what I would be happy with saying is a definitive position, on Egypt, on ancient civilizations, or on aliens, but I can offer an opinion and a speculation based on my own personal experiences. And interestingly enough,
0: you're from it's quite, a, it's quite an
1: interesting. It's quite an interesting viewpoint because I've actually been to the pyramids. Have you? I have actually. I have actually been to the Great Pyramid in Giza. I have stood in the King's Chamber. Cool. I have walked down that long walk with that I had to step over. And my shoulders were rubbing on the side of the walls as I was going down. It was not made for big human beings.
0: They say it's for it's a uh, sound chamber, an echo chamber. They're saying the same as to to generate for energy and noise. Not right really Gabe? It's
1: it's it's quite strange. It's it's quite a, it's quite a strange setting, right? I've been. I can I can. Here's what I can tell you. I can only tell you what I know, right. I've seen the podcasts with, with Graham and Ronald Carlson. I've seen, I've seen, I'm a fan of Joe Rogan's podcast and different, different things. Good. And 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 through that, and through that, I seen, I mean, I'm a, I'm a male who's into the combat sports and strength and different things. So obviously I've watched a number of Joe Rogan's podcasts. And through <laughs> that, I discovered kind of through, through that, I discovered Graham, to be honest with you. I was unaware of his work before that point, but I listened with great interest. Some of the things that he said, and a lot of it makes much sense, along with uh Randall Carlson as well. Make 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 made a lot of sense, even geologically speaking. Um, and having been in Egypt, so I can speak to what I, what I heard them say. I can also speak from first-hand experience, from having been in Egypt and go go gadget memory. We had an Egyptologist that took us for a tour of the pyramids, right? And and the 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 Valley of the Kings and all the tombs, right? I was in all the tombs of all the pharaohs. That'd be awesome. And absolutely incredible. You would love it. It's like Candyland, you'd be in your element. It's- just uh, unbelievable. Incredible. So I was in the tomb of Ramesses the great, like, let my people go, Ramesses, you know, yeah. right? Ramesses the second who um, lived into his nineties and apparently fathered hundreds of children. Right? So <laughs> apparently the last one when he was nearly 90 years old, if if, if you, you believe what's you know what the archaeologists would say. Um, so this was I, 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 it was I seen his I seen his his, uh, his mummy as well. he was kind of a long faced man and he must have been close to six feet tall, which back then was must have been like That's a giant, true. you know. I was also in, in the tomb of Tutankhamun and seen the the the, the mummy of, of King Tut, I I'm, along with. A whole host of other things. I was in Cairo Museum. I was in the Luxor, the Temple of Luxor. I was at the Sphinx. I seen what 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 I didn't know I was looking at at the time, but I remember photographically seeing what is what is now being um, theorized as water erosion. I was right there. There's the Sphinx. Here's me, right. So I was questioning the Egyptologist left and right. He was presenting us with. Um, you know, a, a history dramatic. of the pyramids and, 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 and what goes on, and that they were a tomb for a specific pharaoh. Um, apparently, they were built as a tomb for this guy. And the first question I had for him was, Why is it so dramatically different from all the tombs of all the other pharaohs um, from, from dynastic Egypt? Right. Mm-hmm. And he, he gave me a, an answer that kind of fudged over it that essentially amounted to ego. And I thought, Ego? just how big does somebody's ego need to be? When you see, when you see, see, I mean, I've met some people with, with big egos. In fact, I I see one every day when I look in the mirror, but if I'm honest, you know, I I tend towards that. And and I think more people should be more humble, um, including me. But um, I I mean, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't arguably the greatest Pharaoh of all time was Ramesses the second Ramesses, the great, Right. There's nobody really achieved more. There's nobody reigned longer. And his tomb was by far the most decorative. I mean, Mm -hmm. you had to see this to believe it. And all the treasure had had long been looted, potentially at the time of the Crusades or, or before that, and were long gone. Like the reason why King Tut was so famous was his was the was the only tomb discovered in modern times that wasn't ransacked. It was intact, right? And the the Egyptians, again, if I'm butchering this, if there's any Egyptologists out there, I apologize. I must remind you at this point, I'm a strength and conditioning specialist. But to my memory, the way he explained it to me was that the magnitude of treasure that was placed inside the Pharaoh's tomb was directly proportional to the greatness of his reign. It was reflective of how great a Pharaoh he was.
0: Right,
1: okay. So Tutankhamun had one of the most unspectacular, unstoried reigns in the history of Egypt. He died kind of young, he was very unathletic. Um, there are some physical signs that would suggest that that anthropomorphically speaking, he had a few disabilities. Um, he was obsessed with chariot racing, apparently, but he wasn't physically capable that he was obsessed with champions and, and warriors and yeah, athletes, he but he wasn't very physically capable of doing it himself. And he was a boy king as well. I think he was 13 or 16 or something when he died. He didn't realize he was that young. Right? And his tomb, I've seen the treasure that was in his tomb, but most of it's in the Cairo Museum right now, is insane. And his tomb's tiny. How they fitted it all in, I will never know. Mm. Ramesses' tomb was enormous, but empty. So what was in there? And the walls were head the had the had you know all along the ceiling they were painting the stars and the constellations mm-hmm. and this and that and it all glowed and it was this and it was that when you hit one light hit it. See when you're in when you're in that when you're in the when you're in the, when you're in the center of the of the Great Pyramid in Giza and you're standing in the King's Chamber which was supposed to be the tomb, not a single hieroglyph, not a single decorative anything, not a single wall paint. Not a single story, not a single nothing. There's a bit of modern graffiti, unfortunately, where people are like right and Jimmy was here. Thanks. Right? I mean there is, there is that that's there, believe it or not. But there's there's nothing else. Yeah, and I was a sneak you know, way my head works geometrically. Mm-hmm. I was astounded by the geometry of it just looking at it. When I was in the King's Chamber, there was these massive, it was put together as a series of massive Geometrically perfect looking monoliths, or megaliths, I should say, right? Mm -hmm. You
0: couldn't have squeezed a credit card between the joins of these things. These are the things I'm talking about. Like you look at the way the the pyramids line up with the stars and how they're how like the pyramids in Inca they, they still can't draw a line as perfectly straight as they've got there. Well
1: well, I've got news for you, right? We were standing outside it and the guy hit me with some figures and immediately my head was, stuck. Start- it was probably, I was his worst nightmare. This is <laughs> an ecologist, you know, doing this. Um, we, we, we were very, we were very fortunate in that it's mostly like lay people tour guides. That would be yeah. the equivalent of like, you know, like the way you see like the black taxi tours and stuff like people yeah. who actually experienced certain things. But this was a guy who done that and was also, a credential, that like he was able to bring us into different parts of the Cairo Museum that he had the key code for. And so he was a qualified Egyptologist dressed to the nines, glasses, you name it. He spoke, he addressed the crowd in three or four different languages. This was a highly intelligent dude, right? You? But I was his worst nightmare, right? Because he said there was over, if I remember correctly, let me try and get this. In, in the Great Pyramid in Gaza alone, there was approximately 2.3 million blocks. That's 2,300,000 blocks.
0: That just doesn't make sense.
1: That the, the average mean weight was 2.5 tons, and the range was between 2 tons and 70 tons. That's not 7 or 17, that's 70 tons.
0: But there's right. the thing. People are saying that that like there is no way of shifting these blocks with modern technology. Listen, I so said. To him,
1: he said. He said. And and it was it was built in twenty years. Now, as soon as he said that, listen, I'm not a construction. I'm not a construction worker. I'm not an architect. There could be a number of skill knowledge based. Corners that can be cut and configurated, like knowledge that's, that's known to speed these things along that I have no knowledge of because I have no education in that area. All I can tell you is the numbers that he was telling me and what that immediately conjured in my head. I said to him, well, how were they able to do that? And he says, well, there was a lot of people. And I was like, well, where were they all coming from? Where were they all come, where were where were the where were the stones quarried? Well, most of them would have been quarried in, in, in Gaza. Uh, how far is that away? And I think it was and now this could be inaccurate, but I think it was it was close to ten kilometers, was the nearest quarry. Right. But he also disclosed that there was a hundred and sixty thousand tons of pink granite that came from over eight hundred kilometres away. Right, it just doesn't make sense. five hundred miles, twenty years. But if you think about this, right, immediately I'm going two point three million. Okay, there's there have to be There's three hundred. There's 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 you know there's there's sixty minutes in an hour. There's three hundred and three thousand six hundred seconds. Um, in that there's seven days in a week. You know there's twelve months in a year times twenty. You know, they're by two point three million, it comes out at approximately a block in place in less than five minutes. Every five minutes, 24/7, seven days a week, three sixty five times twenty.
0: And here, none of those bricks block are broke, and every brick was perfectly pristine, so there wasn't even they couldn't even have a credit card through it. But yeah, yeah. Shalev's done it. Of course. Well 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 listen listen listen.
1: Well, well. Or to 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 bring it closer to Graham's uh, standpoint on certain things, potentially let's take aliens out of it for a second. I know that's like worm worm worm, right? <laughs> but let, let, let's take aliens out of it for a second. Let let's try among ourselves. If you have the time, I'll, I'll do it as briefly as possible. Oh, listen, Tim, I've, I've no idea <laughs> to come up with some sort of terrestrial theory, right beyond the mainstream. I mean, I mean listen, I, I know they were using the river Nile. They had to be. They had to have a number of boats with a number of, of. They had to be utilizing the Nile. And I, I, I think. I mean, this isn't something I honestly isn't something I've researched, but I just have a good memory. I think. What they're saying now is that they were, they're using logs and then pouring water. It has to be a precise amount of water below the logs on the sand. And it makes it 8, eight to 12 times faster because there's less friction to roll the logs. And that would cut the time down by somewhat. But guess what? I don't know if it cuts it down by enough to have a block quarried, shaped, transported, and then placed with an a, 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 a astounding number of geometrically perfect angles Let's every be five minutes for 20 years straight, nonstop.
0: Let's be generous. Let's say it's slaves. Let's say if all that stuff you just spoke about happened, and we'll say it took a block a day. Mm. You know, and that's being generous. Like, Because to carve a 70-tonne granite block out of fucking stone and transport it, it's not going to happen. Now, here's my theory. Aliens. <laughs>
1: <it>. <laughs> you know. But you know what's what's interesting is what's interesting is what's interesting is this. Humanity has been like like human beings, Homo sapiens have been Homo sapiens as far as we can tell for approximately 200,000 200, years. Right? As far as history teaches us. As far, as far as we know, yeah, the, the earliest discovery thus far has been 200,000 years. Now, we could there could be an earlier example of Homo sapiens that hasn't yet been found. But 200,000 years is a long, long, long time to be anatomically, psychologically, cerebrally human, right? With all the mathematic, artistic, um, and sociologic potential of a human being, and all the physiology of a human being, potentially an enhanced physiology, which may be stronger than. Right.
0: Listen.
1: Go ahead. Finish. So, 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 just bear with me. Yeah, Let me please. bring this one to fruition, and then I'll, I'll leave it with you, because it ties in with what, what Graham's kind of theory is, right? So that's two hundred thousand years, but humanity's as- ascent to technological greatness, right? Has been plotted archaeologically over only the last ten thousand years, i.e., our ascent from the Stone Age to where we find ourselves today. Right. So cold. So what I find interesting, what I find interesting, is why we have been intellectually the same creature and physiologically the same creature for two hundred thousand years, but we thought to do nothing. We thought. To, to not behave in the way that humans that all humans behave from the moment of birth to the moment of death throughout recorded human history, which is to um, to put our best effort out and then to try and batter that and then for somebody else to come in with an idea and to try and batter that, i.e the, the story of human technological progression from the Stone Age. Why for a 190,000 years did the same creature? Do nothing but relatively the same thing, like throw spears at antelope and do nothing. Well, they haven't been banged by aliens yet, right? Was had humanity. There was definitely the time for humanity to have risen and and fallen potentially, um, technologically speaking, even just from a terrestrial perspective. More than once, it's not outside the realms of possibility that that could have happened. And then the big question becomes: Well, then, why did why did that disappear? Why can we not? find trace of an advanced civilization. Um
0: all I can tell you comparable from, to
1: our own or something similar.
0: All I can tell you from my point of view, I have done a shit ton of psychedelics. I'm pretty open about it. And I have fucking met those aliens. Speaking, are fucking, <laughs> fucking exist. But like
1: on all general, I've not met a few people that could be aliens. Like I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they were aliens. You're from,
0: you're from but I don't stuff. know, you know. <laughs> but listen, it's like this. Sumerian texts. If you look at them from like and look at the cave paintings. Well, kids- I haven't
1: looked at any of this, but you educate me because I haven't really oh, done any reading. I, do
0: you know something? We'll have to do a podcast. We'll have to come on there and we'll just talk about this. Two strength coaches having no clue what we're talking about, <laughs> and we'll just go down the rabbit hole. Way, just- way out of our lane. Like I'm so far out
1: of my lane here, I can't even see where the lane is anymore. Refer, but-
0: I just find it hard to accept that. Look at 2020. What is the mm-hmm. show that whatever the governments want to put out, those people in power want us to believe. It's easy to fucking manipulate, and that's it. And then in history, three hundred years time, the history of today will be determined by what's written in the history books, and no one will know any different apart from what they or read. what's
1: left after some sort yes. of cataclysm.
0: Ah, after fucking World War Three, but like, to, to the, you look back. You look back at like all those times we're being told by people who are clearly more intelligent than us in these topics. This is what they surmise has happened, looking at the evidence from their point of view. Now, someone like Graham Hancock or Randall Carson comes in and queries that, and they're shut down straight away. Just like what's happening today. If you question the narrative, you're shut down straight away. You're crazy. So these people are saying, here's evidence that we're showing that sheds a different light. But these archaeologists have spent maybe 50 years, 60 years of their
1: life.
0: Now they can't let go of that story because that means they're stupid or that means their ego's damaged. So they're going to do everything in power to hold off. But we look at the Sumerian texts, we look at the cave paintings and we see similarities through everything. If you look at the um, the eye of horse and you cut the penile gland in half, the eye of horse, the penile gland, the third eye, that the, the DMT is released when we're born, when we die, the, the place where the psychedelic drugs affect us and the, the, the eye that we're meant to see from that's calcified from fluoride and all. This that is all is new to me. me.
1: This is great. When, Keep going. I've you, never heard any of
0: this. When you look at you look at the eye of horse and the Egyptian text, and then you cut the you look at the, an image of a penal gland cut in half, it's identical. Identical. They, if you look at the Sumerian right. text see, and the, the Egyptian is hieroglyphs, they're all carrying a wee bag, and they all and there's speculation that they were carrying magic mushrooms and the magic mushrooms were there. And you, you look at um post theory stone ape, where we started developing even if you take away the aliens. We started developing d- different levels k- of consciousness when we started eating magic mushrooms. There are so many, there, yeah. Yeah. but there's so many theories that aren't mainstream that aren't um, explored enough because they're shut down. Which means we're 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 left with one story of humanity, and if you try to change it, you're crazy. It's like fitting the square peg you're in the right, round yeah. hole. There's definitely well, something
1: to draw. To draw a full circle. Um, every area of science and expertise that has some sort of dogma or um deeply rooted theory where a number of individuals institutions and jobs let's face it um are inextricably deep, deeply rooted in it well well, there's a, there's a vested there's a there's a quick clear you know bass well that well okay let me not get ahead of myself you can see the, the potential. You can you can clearly see the potential for there being some sort of bias vested um, interest in. I am not as politically keeping I'm that not keeping I'm that the norm, right? And to bring this conversation full circle, <laughs> the answer maybe why um, some people haven't yet fully caught on to some of the 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 evidence that I've actually borne out in terms of the comfort zone expansion plan in the face of of common strength and conditioning doctrine. It's the same sort of thing. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's pushing against, it's swimming against the tide yes. of history, but yet it has history in its favor. It's just history from a perspective that hasn't been, you know, um, well, explored ready? enough yet. And so therefore, we're it's going to stick problem. to what we know.
0: You're we're going to stick problem. to what we know
1: because if we don't know what you know, then all of a sudden we don't know anything. And so, therefore, that makes us in a weaker position. So I'm not saying the archaeologists are doing that, but I can see how there might be the potential for them to want to. And, I mean, even geologically speaking, well, even take the geology out of it, but there's a a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest of um, certain things geologically as well that uh, um, Graham uh, Carlson was talking about. Or Round no, not Green found- Carlson. Yeah, I'm getting them getting them mixed up. Made them one person there for a second. <laughs> um, but archaeologically speaking, the existence of Go Back like tappy, I mean, automatically we have to reconsider now. I mean, it's now mainstream to this reconsider to, to <laughs> reconsider the whole you know, you know, hunter-gatherer race from Stone Age, because the Stone Age was 10,000 years ago approximately. And go back late, is at least 11 and a half, 12,000 years old.
0: 12,000, 9,600 years old. So,
1: right. So nearly 13,000 years old. And it is quite clearly, quite clearly, the product of a sophisticated civilization who had access to um, technology that we didn't think we had access to until
0: And we also know, We so, also know through religion and the stories of the, the ancient past there was a massive cataclysmic flood that happened in that Ongodras period of twelve thousand six hundred nine thousand six hundred years ago. It's it's in the it's in the uh, it's in the Quran it's in the Bible it's in fucking every holy book there is. Something happened to humanity in that period of twelve thousand nine thousand years ago that changed changed everything. Look at the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon itself, the way it, the way it winds and the layers, it indicates that it's a fast moving flood. It wasn't. This didn't happen over. Slow period. This happened like through, like, like, like a power hose cutting through metal. You know, cut. It's cuts waves of it. There's just too much unanswered, and for me, questions. For me, yeah, that I don't
1: believe it. Yeah, big Tim. What what I'll say is this. Um, a lot of what Randall Carson was saying was very compelling. I am not a geologist, and I don't have a, a, a great. I understand geology to a certain extent. I mean, who who kind of who kind of. uh um as a hobby understands geology, but that's how that's how weird I am. But I, I do have a, a rudimentary understanding of geology. However, I'm not a geologist and I don't think I understand it enough to lend a concrete opinion on the authenticity of what he's talking about. But what I will say is this I've heard several of the podcasts and it makes it makes a lot of sense. There does appear to be geological evidence for massive floods and then uh, theologically, if we look at the, some of the oldest books, like the Bible and things like that, we can find even different books outside of the Bible, different accounts. We can see evidence. Um, the, 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 the footprints of this seem to permeate throughout recorded human history. Uh, and it all seems to state around the same date as well, which is kind of will be overwhelmingly coincidental, you could say. There's also impact traumas that we can see now from space, not just the one um, near the Gulf of Massacre that, that done the dinosaurs in. Well, it didn't really do the dinosaurs in. The dinosaurs are still with us. They're birds, but we'll get to that.
0: Um, you know what you need to do, Paul? You need to subscribe to Gaia. know right, what's that? Gaia, it's, like a, it's basically Netflix for aliens and ancient civilizations,
1: was it's, Gaia was Gaia a god of some description? Can, can... Mother
0: Earth. Mother Earth. No, Gaia is Mother Earth. Right. No. Okay. Okay. It's okay. Gaia is a TV channel, and it's just basically like Netflix of the supernatural. Right. No, sounds I mean, interesting. It sounds it interesting. Is, honestly, it's there's some really good stuff about the mindset and how the mind works, and you know the, the how the how you can change your. It's, it's. I love it. I just watch it all the time. Like it's. What?
1: Like one of the most compelling things that 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 Randall actually said for me, even beyond the floods and the impacts, was there has to be a batter. I mean, I've I've said this for years, even before I even considered there being an asteroidal impact or any type of flood. There has to be a batter theory for the for the absolute mass wipeout of Paleolithic megafauna. Yes. Um. I mean
0: the the, the standard, right here, You're a vegan dinosaur, aren't you? You're a dinosaur. Yes. Okay. Now we're getting into
1: it during in an area that I actually am somewhat of an armchair expert on anyway. I just
0: want to go we're going here for another hour here, fuck's sake. You know, I know this
1: could go on forever. You may have to split this into two parts. Pod- I, I would advise you maybe split this into two podcasts, release it, release it in parts. God knows where we're going to end up. Now. I'm enjoying it though. Yeah, I am for, I'm it's just, so spectacularly different than anything anybody else ever has. I've been like.
0: saying to people about this. The reason I started this podcast, I've said it about every podcast, but fuck I'll tell you, because I'm talking to you, not an everyone else, um, <laughs> is that I was going stir crazy, not talking to anyone. I love to. You know what I'm like. I will, yeah. I will, I will argue with anyone about anything, and I don't give a yeah. I'm not going to fucking wrong. I just love an argument. I love it debate. <laughs>
1: <fun>. It doesn't <laughs> come across at all. We're joking.
0: <laughs> like see them my of friends I wind up. I just love like, have arguments with them. And after oh, being of pissed off, I just go. By the way, I didn't even believe that he's one of the argument. It's I know you're right. I just wanted to, <laughs> to piss you off. But I. But this is what it started. I was like right. I need to talk to people that I can have a conversation with. If I do a podcast and I say to someone, "Do you want to come to my podcast?" We're coming on with a topic. We're coming on with an intention to talk, and all of a sudden, you're getting really you're getting to know people better. You have intellectual conversations, which change your mindset, change your challenge your way of thinking about things. But it it's just gets fucking it's dirty. fun.
1: And in, in this time of nobody allowed to see anybody or do anything, it's 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 probably our only option to do to get something like this going. And it's kind of cool. In a way, because then other people can experience it with us, you know, and they are in the room. Care too. If I love this.
0: Wouldn't care. See if see if no if I never got one view on these podcasts, wouldn't give a shit. I'm enjoying doing them, I'm just enjoying talking to people. That's the and best I,
1: reason to do something. It's yeah. the best way to do something. Well,
0: you we're know? talking about dinosaurs anyway. So <laughs> so well,
1: technically we're talking about prehistoric mammals. <laughs> if you want to talk about dinosaurs, that's great, that's a whole other ball of wax. But, <laughs> Yeah, the the, the kind of from when I was a child, it never sat well with me. I, was, as you can imagine, I wasn't the tip. I was a bit like Luke. I wasn't I wasn't your typical run of the mill. Um, thinking about, I thought, always thought about things a wee bit differently. Um, not saying it was better or worse, because in some ways it was definitely worse. But on a pain in the in the, in the side, but uh, uh, it never sat. The mainstream kind of theory for where all the 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 prehistoric mammals, let's say to put to put the lay term on it went. I can understand how you can you can rate some of them off to natural selection, even to evolution, becoming slightly different things over the course of time, and maybe they are still with us in a different form. But the absolute enormity, the plethora of mammalian life on planet Earth, particularly in North America, that is just devoid, just completely wiped off the face of the planet. And the mainstream theory was that we hunted mammoths in particular to the period, to the point of extinction. Now, there's several things that don't make sense about that to me, apart from the fact that right, we're talking about Neanderthals and Homo sapiens potentially, and maybe, I don't know, another species of hominid, I don't know. Um, but regardless, the human population on Earth at that time was minuscule. Exactly. Well, that's the first variable. The mammal population on Earth was, in its totality of, of mammalian life, was vastly, we were just another one of the mammals. Yes. It was vastly, like, you know, it, it, it was vastly our, our superior in that way. There was way more total mammals than there was just Homo sapiens. We aren't, we're thinking about the Earth the way the Earth is now. It was a very different Earth, and our role on Earth was very different. Even
0: right. oxygen, the oxygen consumption, the, the, the level of oxygen in the earth, everything was different.
1: Everything was different, right? The weather was vastly different. Everything was different. Life was really hard. Humanity, even in mainstream archaeology, it's accepted that humanity almost went extinct on several occasions. And somehow we're still here through pestilence, through weather, through the ice age, through, through that.
0: Am I right in saying that mammoths weren't actually cut out for winter? Like they were taught that they're... they're I think I read somewhere something like where mammoths, where their skin, their fur actually would have held the water and froze, made them freeze. Yeah, you know? they
1: well, it's it's theories that mammoths and um, what's what's the other? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm forgetting what the other one's called. It's a mammoth-like um, elephant, you know, an mm-hmm. elephant-like creature. Um, mastodons, mastodons. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mammoths and mastodons and like pachyderm type animals, like that, like elephant-like animals, were meant for cold weather for sure, but not as cold as what, like they wouldn't have been able to live where polar bears live. Yeah. For example, if that makes any sense, not 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 in the way that it was then, but the poles yeah. were very different at different stages of like mammoth and ma- mammalian evolution. And like,
0: they were reinforced at one point. The, like, the, What's that Sorry. Antarctica was a reinforced at one point. They, they yeah, were, yeah. They well, were, the
1: Earth was very, very different at different stages of, we've of got development. Pyramid
0: down there that we're not allowed to go near. There you go. There's another like, alien uh,
1: But, but, but here, here's the thing that doesn't that doesn't make, make sense to me. Mammoth sort humans like hundred to one, 200, 300 to one. Like it was, it was. I don't know the exact figure, but I know it was astronomical. Right? All, I don't know if you've noticed, but they're also a lot bigger. Right? <laughs> and we had spears and rocks. And and potentially at best, I mean, you know, the mainstream theory is we didn't have arrows until much later, Um, but you wouldn't know for for certain. But spears, anyway, it would have been a hell of a risk to kill a mammoth, and when you did, especially in an ACH type scenario. You could potentially use the weather to kind of refrigerate some of the meat. If that makes any sense, like there's some people do
0: that. It's gonna last you for a long time. A long, long
1: time. You could feed a family of four or five on an elk for like a year, if you refrigerate it correctly. An elk, a
0: mammoth. Slightly bigger.
1: Right? So even just in terms of, there's not enough seconds in the day, days in the week, months in the year, years in the lifetime. To, to hunt mammoths to extinction with the meager amount of of humans and Weapon. the technology and the weapons that they had versus why they would be killing them. Now, that's for, for sure they'd be using the mammoth for more than just food. They'd be using its pelt for, you know, this and that. And, you know, there's evidence that they use the tusks to help construct, like, living quarters and different things like that. But it just doesn't stack up. And that's just mammoths. Then you have woolly rhinos, and you've got this and that, and there's tons and tons. There was a whole host of big cats that were all, you know, more massive than the lions and tigers of today. The giant
0: birds.
1: Oh, the the short, yeah, that thing was like, you know, it could run like a horse. The short, the short faced bird could run like a horse, and it was like the size of a rhino, you know, not really, but you know what I mean? It was enormous. It was like, twelve feet tall or something, they got him stood on his hand legs.
0: No ground game though.
1: No ground game. You just subbed it in <laughs> two seconds. But you know what I mean? So like oh so you you kill you kill the deer, you kill the mammoths, you hunt them to, to extinction and then therefore the things that predate on them, like the short faced bear and the saber toothed tigers, then they all die off and blah blah blah. It's all a bit too it doesn't make a, mathematic sense to me really. Uh, not,
0: there's a lot of stuff doesn't make sense to me. And that's you know what racks me? It's like, see if you question it, if you actually have the if you have the capacity to think and just not accept what the mainstream tells you, and you question you're your nutcase. Like like remember, yeah. like, I'm gonna get slagged. I always get slagged. I don't give a shit. I love talking about aliens because I believe they exist. But like 20 years ago, if you said UFOs existed, you were an absolute rocket. See now in June, the de- the <laughs> Trump has just had signed that order that means that they have to release the de- meaning that the Pentagon have to release all information on UFOs. Have you watched the do you ever watch that show unacknowledged on Netflix? I did
1: watch it, I did watch um, it because you recommended that I watched it and I think I, it, it a go. It was brilliant, yeah, it
0: was very, very thought. Have you watched the uh, closing covers of the fifth kind? Isn't this following one? No, no, I haven't seen that. No, I'll, uh, I'll give you me, I'll give you my YouTube password page and you can just, yeah, yeah I, I bought it and you can watch it. It is. It's even better because he shows you fucking photographs of these motherfuckers right beside him. No, serious. Course, I well, that's what he says. I te- I I choose to. I want to believe it. So of course. Yeah, yeah yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. There's confirmation bias and stuff like of that.
0: Of course, however, listen. I'm not in it. I know that what I'm <laughs> saying is fucking mad. And I know people are going. He is a fucking lunatic. He's rotten mad. I don't care. It's what I believe. I genuinely believe that there's aliens. Yeah. And I genuinely well, believe we've been visited. Well,
1: let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way again. I'll preface this by saying I'm a strength and conditioning specialist. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll also say, I'll also say that nobody knows for a hundred percent sure, and I'm definitely included in that category. But what I will say is the two things that I find most interesting, of late, neon compelling, is the fact that the Pentagon released an, an official statement saying that we have craft. Um, let me get this. I don't want to misquote it. Okay, so this is going to be a paraphrase. Oh, and it was not
0: of this earth. It was not of this earth.
1: Some, something along those lines. We have we have crafts in our possession that are not of this earth. Something along those lines, and then you have the testimony and video footage of Commander Fravor right?
0: Yes. Of the Tic Tac. Yes. The. T- right. you've, got, you've got um Bob Lazar. Did you watch that? You have You
1: Bob Lazar, um, and and then you Travis Otmar, people like that. Although Travis Otmar, I remember uh, the film uh, Fire in the Sky. Yeah. um, uh, That was based on Travis Otmar's life. I have to say, I just thought he was nuts or lying for for most of it. But in light of the Pentagon statement, in light of Commander Fravor, in light of Bob Lazar, and then in light of revisiting the facts of Travis Otmar's case. It all, it all kind of is very compelling.
0: Okay, you know? well, I would like to say this. The let me see if you were a government and you didn't want the people to believe that aliens existed, what would you do? Personally, mm. I would turn mm. around and say, "Well, that's crazy. They're nuts. they and I would blacken those people's names to the point where if you even if you're even associated with them, you're a it heads
1: in plain sight. The sense they would be the goal because there's no way to cover it up totally. So you, you have to kind of you know if if you want if you were to, if you were to try and do something like that you would have to do it the way it looks like it would have been done if that's what they're doing. But what I will say about that tic tac is this, right? For a start, that guy forever is a straight list and as and as you know, authentic a witness that you can possibly. Get He's from. very
0: analytical in his thinking, isn't he? Like He's very incredibly easy.
1: intelligent. He's one of the most decorated commanders and like top gun. Top gun. History right? Like literally the real, like, real, the real Top Gun, right? Everything that it. he says, he doesn't want to be involved in it. He's a reluctant player in this game. Um, and everything he says is only based on the facts that can be correlated and corroborated by others and the actual footage of the thing moving. So what we can see is a tic-tac-shaped object that is maneuvering in a way that is beyond, far, far beyond what we currently believe our terrestrial technology is capable of. So, what I will offer you is this that's potentially something that could be extraterrestrial. Or, what do you think of the possibility that it's terrestrial? Right, here's what I that humanity and different governments within humanity have technology that is way beyond even his pay grade, and he wouldn't know that that was actually US,
0: okay. US technology. What was it? $2 trillion went missing from the Pentagon the day before 9 11 still right. when he announced, there was like something like two or three trillion dollars had went missing, all in black ops, obviously. um <laughs> Well, it could have been anything,
1: but maybe it's black, black ops. <laughs> you
0: never are the way of a good story. All right, Paul, you need to know this shit. Like,
1: if that did happen, that is fucking conspicuous without a doubt. Like,
0: I look at all the, I look at all the. The false flags. People think I don't believe nine eleven happened. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I just don't believe the government. A conspiracy theorist to I me mean, is someone who questions the government narrative. That's I just don't take it for true truth. No, you can't go down too far down the rabbit hole and it where everything's conspiracy. I think I, you may be at the other end of the rabbit
1: hole, but I fucking. might
0: be on the borderline there, you know. But just, <laughs> <laughs> but oh, well, I was fucking for that. I so think of most know. people's of most people's
1: honest they've taken a wee look down the rabbit hole every now and they're again, close, you know. We're
0: scared, scared of in case they look nuts, but I don't care if we're looking nuts. I'm well over that shit. But we've got false flags 911, 7 the Madrid bombers, all these things. And if you notice there were similarities happening, to the old mall, you know, they're just this they, similar pattern pattern happening. Now, not acknowledged, they say we've got the technology to do this. I've been saying this for two or three years now there's going to be a massive false flag. And when the aliens come down and they start blowing people up and they start blowing shit up, what are they going to do? They're going to turn and say, listen, we need to combine humanity. We need humanity to unite and fight this one common enemy. And we're going to get rid of the countries and we're going to get one government in a one world government and we're going to fight. And they're going to have to have an enemy. We always have to have an enemy to fight against in order to get these things going. COVID is the current enemy. We all need to unite over COVID. We all need to unite over the terrorists, the, the Arabic terrorists. There's always a story. It's going to be... So what you're,
1: what you're, what, you're, what you're suggesting, potentially... Is well, you're not, suggest, you're not suggesting you're your theory you're theorizing, you know, and sp- s- speculating that that potentially um, it's a red herring. I look at the way the media. The, the, there's no alien. That's it's just it's it's our technology to try and no. unite us. No, uh, I believe there's aliens. Whatever the actual agenda was in the first place.
0: I believe it's aliens, I believe we've got alien technology, and I believe we've, like, if you look at the technology, standard, the, the guys, the old fellas who were, who are like, flying the planes in the, when they were in their early 20s, 30s, they're now in their 70s and 80s, they said they've seen the aliens. The Minister of Defence of Canada said he's seen the aliens. He's mm-hmm. seen them. Like, these are guys in high-level positions. Now, the, amount of, think- the amount of
1: accounts are, 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 are overwhelming, Especially even from like military personnel and stuff like that. Yeah. From all we really know here here's the thing that I have to I have to overemphasize. It's very, very interesting. It's very, very interesting. It's very, very compelling. And everything you could everything you could be saying could be right. I, I just find it interesting. I think even if it's not that, it's something. That's for sure.
0: Right. People are scared to talk about it. Like
1: what's there, sort aerial, there's, there's there's unidentified flying objects, right? You want to use the term UFO, I think the modern um moniker is something like aerial phenomena or some oh, shit.
0: My God. Unidentified
1: aerial phenomena, whatever it's the same thing. You could call it Bob. There's things in the sky that do things that w- that are beyond what we what we know are possible for the technologies that we have terrestrially. Or is it that's the thing that I'm coming from? The thing that I'm coming from is is it extraterrestrial or is it really well, deep or terrestrial?
0: This is what I'm saying.
1: Just, there's definitely aliens? it's beyond dispute now that, there's, that people are seeing something. Do you how know, many, how many? I, majority, I just want to say this, and I think you may agree with me on this. I mean, let me read your mind. I think the majority is bullshit. I so think I the majority of people of people going ah oh, seen aliens. Oh, hundred
0: percent, hundred percent. is probably 100% sure. bullshit, right? But that, but that's what the media. Really well. the you
1: can't put Commander Fravor in there with, with Billy exactly. Bob, he claims to have been kidnapped, and and that's why he was caught cheating on his wife. Do you know, the aliens told me it was a good idea, or something <laughs> like that. I'm going to make making a, a pick
0: on rednecks in particular, but why are the mainstream know? media like drip feeding us stories about? Aliens, you know, it's not it's not commonplace. Oh, these are all like they actually came out and said we have gotten a craft, not of this earth. Do you know, that's so pretty, healing,
1: right? That's pretty it's interesting.
0: Dripiness. It's, dripiness. it's incredible that's high level media attention that got, right? But, but I, I don't think it did. I think it got I think I got subconsciously it got put into our minds. I think I think that they want the subconsciously program us to start believing that maybe aliens are true, and then bang, there's going to be an alien invasion. They've told us all about it. They're going to start killing us, and we're going to have to unite. Reality is, I don't believe aliens are going to kill us. I believe they're just here. If there were, if there was aliens out there were going to kill us, they would kill us really. You know,
1: yeah. unless there's some know. sort of real sick cat playing with a ball of string agenda. Uh, to be honest,
0: if you really go want, want to go down the rabbit hole. I believe it's more dimensional than anything else. The DNT has taught me too much shit about dimensional stuff. And, like, you know, I, I believe there could be a dimension about us right now that we have no idea to understand because we have no way of seeing it. We have no way of sensing it. Our five senses aren't adapted enough. Look at the light spectrum alone. The light spectrum, like what, what animals see compared to what we see, is just completely different. The, the, the audio spectrum that dogs can hear, some whales can hear that, we can't hear, so we're only. Yeah, our reality different... is
1: limited to the capacity yes. of our senses. So re- reality means different things, even to different creatures on this earth.
0: What I love to know is why are people scared to actually think there's potential to something else? Why, why, why Ridicute, they...
1: Ridicule, well, ridicule, probably.
0: Isn't it mad though? You know, you, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, being, yeah, yeah. Being yeah. Actually, someone who could maybe figure shit out is too worried to even think about going down that rabbit hole because they're too worried about what other people think. Modest. ridicule and
1: probably funding to be honest as well like there's probably not enough there i mean there is there is money that gets that does actually get governmentally attributed to, to two such things but true. <laughs> yeah yeah well if, if that they, they wouldn't overtly say at least that that was that what that was for um but there are there are what some people would suggest are like cover organizations what what is, what, is the theory I'm not saying that. I don't know what they are. They could be legit government agencies. I don't know that are, but they 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 have very like micro funding in comparison to something like weapons defense or or something like that. And you can see the pragmatism in that too, because you know if aliens want it, if, if 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 aliens, if there are aliens who have been here, then they're coming from somewhere far. And if they're able to do that, their technology is far beyond ours. And no matter how much money we're putting in the defense. If they want us dead, they're probably we're we'll probably going to or, be dead.
0: So you can
1: see why they would pump more money in the terrestrial defense because we might be at more at risk there. You know, but
0: I've got a different theory. I would say that we have got the ability. Tesla, we know Tesla had the ability, free energy, and all this stuff. We know now we're that, back to the pyramids. Uh, I, well, the thing is, who who governs the world? The elite, the rich, the, the the uber rich, the people that the the people that aren't in government, the people that we don't know, the shadow governments, whatever you want to call them, deep cabal, deep state, whatever whatever you want to call them they make billions and trillions every year of oil of electricity of gases of coal of all these fossil fuels if they if we have the ability to get free energy, they lose out they don't it's it's not in their interests to give us that technology it's better in their interest to keep their technology themselves and and make money off us keep us enslaved and that's genuine I believe I believe they're there's a there's an overt or covert or whatever both probably operation behind keeping us uninformed so that we believe our reality right now this is all this is the this is the latest technology we've got whereas we all deep down we all know there's more shit that they, well, they have the shit that we don't know.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's good pre- there's good actual um, precedent for suggesting that the government would technologically speaking. Um, play its cards close to his chest in terms of what we're allowed to have versus what they have behind closed doors. And to be fair, from a completely mainstream perspective, I can see the pragmatism in that. If I was if I was running, if I was, if I was the um, in, in any sort of leadership position for a, a country at the size of let's say United States, right? I, I especially with with a population with a mindset as divided and as diverse
0: but that's, you your that's the key mindset
1: yeah it's
0: a culture that we've it created
1: be, yeah but would, wouldn't it wouldn't it be the right thing to do to um, you know to, to, to keep some of the major game changing technology in the hands of you know the, the people who run the show rather than you know It's like you 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 want I almost want the government to have stuff that's beyond what you know an iPhone, let's say, you know, so that well because you know ultimately you you wanna you wanna have you wanna have you wanna have the the, the confidence and the faith in the fact that if push comes to shove, there's there's more. I, I want to I know. I want to at least believe in theory that if push comes to shove, either terrestrially or other ways, um, that we have more in the tank than what I can see, okay? I, I, about, in, in terms about. of, I'm not even talking about aliens. I'm talking about other power nations who maybe want to exert a certain um, conflict.
0: Well, here's my All idea.
1: America to have to have a few a few aces up their up their sleeve, really.
0: I would rather we focus on having like a utopian world where there is no war. We don't need war. I Why do we need war? We, we need war because we believe we need war because we believe the bullshit the media tell us. Like there there is no need. Like the, the 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 Arabs across the across the other side of the world, they bleed red blood. The Protestants in this country bleed the same blood as the Catholics in this country. We've got the same problems like we if you're if you're Sammy from Shankle or Patty from the Falls, you're both plumbers, you've got worries about debt, you've got worries about mortgage, you've got worries about your kids. We've got more in common than we realize, but just because we're kept divided. And because we're kept divided, we fear each other, and because we fear each other, we need to have more weapons, we need to we need to have war, we need to conquer. It's an in, it's an inbuilt in with it's within every human being, but it doesn't mean it has to be that way. I know it's utopian yeah. idea but fuck me, we're going dystopian here. Like, it's, I think it's better yeah, to it have Yeah. It's
1: better
0: to have that hope in fucking the, the current reality we've got. And the reality we yeah, yeah.
1: no. is what we accept. I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, there's nobody who would want, I think anybody of, of, of sound mind who's a decent human being would at least in theory want a society that was more utopian. And I think historically speaking, if you look at the progress of society, we are actually becoming more utopian and, and more egalitarian, at least let's say, as time goes on. We're becoming more inclusive, we're becoming more egalitarian, um, we're becoming more civilized. Well, tell you what, but... maybe it's not moving at a fast enough rate, but if you could, and everybody looks at the good old days through rose tainted glasses, but if you look at how dangerous even, even regular life was when we were kids. And some of the health and okay, you can go too far with some of that, and 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 um, you know overprotect children and things like that, and then they become non-functional adults. I agree with that. You can definitely go too far with too much kid gloves or what have you. But you know, the world is it, there's a you can draw a direct line chronologically from the Stone Age to now of the world getting generally safer, generally easier, and generally better. And that, that in itself could be described as slightly more utopian every well, time. It
0: better? Is it is like easier, or better? Like easier well, it's a good better?
1: question. It's a fair point. In some ways, definitely yes. You know, like I wouldn't be trading in my big house and my 52, 55, whatever the hell it is, inch TV, and all my Netflix and my Disney Plus and my, my home gym to go back and live in a cave. I just wouldn't. You know, See, to be
0: honest, Gail and I were talking like, I,
1: I but, but I don't believe we should lose like total. Let me preface that by saying if you lose too much contact with who you are as an animal, that's not healthy as well. And kind of lockdown has
0: kind of shown me that. We are not in a healthy state. What happens if the food, if they, right, just say, let's, let's go conspiracy to shut the food off. How do you feed yourself? You don't know how to hunt. You don't know how to grow your food. You don't know what foods are edible. You don't. We have lost all these fucking life skills Agreed. in the place for yep. in place for like like theoretical shit that we need to know. Oh, you need to know your maths. You need to know religion. You need to know English. No, you fucking need to know how to feed yourself. You need to know how to okay. shelter yourself. You need to know how to make a fire. And these are life skills that we're being lo- that we're losing because we don't. need I them agree anymore. With that. We believe we don't need them anymore. And this is where I'm talking about. There's there's an imbalance and without a doubt. You know, that there needs to be a school. If schooling was for schooling, to teach you how to live life, you would learn how to start your own business. You would learn how to start a fire. You would learn how to grow food. You would learn what hunting is. You would learn how to fucking build a wigwam or fucking whatever you know, build shelters. That's type of life skill. The scouts, the scouts are probably one of the most underutilized organizations in the world now. Do yeah. You know it's, if you get like I want to get my kids in the scouts when they when they when the lockdown's over, I'm getting them in the scouts because it's a life skill you will never learn lo- you will never lose. Do you know I,
1: I agree with you hundred percent. Um you see, excuse me. I think I think school the way it's set up, you don't even have to go conspiracy theory. I mean, our food supply is fragile. And we can we can see that even with COVID and with like political decisions, even with Brexit and different things, you know, uh, and and environmentally, you know, it wouldn't take there to be too much of a shift. It, it doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to be like a nuclear winter for the crop to fail. There no. can be too much rain. There can the, the temperature can be uh, can be two degrees too cold, or or a few degrees too hot. It you know our our, our society is is sitting on that sort of theoretical. Um, sugar pedestal that I was talking about earlier. That sugar pedestal can be applied to many things, and I think as a member of Western society, we can sometimes, you know, we're, we're sitting in our in our little box, and we can look out and and feel that there's that, that there's more security than there actually is over the fabric of our society. It wouldn't take to if something like The Walking Dead happened, you'd be like everything would fall apart. Do you know we're something? Not really, we're not really. We're not. We're getting the zombies now. though. we're not. Oh, yeah, we're not really yeah. in position for something for a cataclysmic disaster, right? Which Covid has kind of shown us how fragile um, that we can be, and it's a relatively. It's a relatively. Um, now I don't. I don't mean to, to say this to, to, to do um, in any way um, belittle anybody's loss or anything like that, but that like COVID could be worse as a, as a, as a, as a, as a virus. You know, um, what happens if, if it's there was a, a virus that was more deadly? What happens if there was a real, real honest to goodness, like something like the bubonic plague, which had a 100% kill rate? You
0: know what happened? You know, the government would lose control, but it just so happens that this is a really nice virus that the government can control and save everyone as long as we take our freedoms away. Fuck that. But, but, of- <laughs> but
1: things like school, right? It doesn't have to be. um It doesn't have to be like a like a like a grand plan to kind of keep us helpless. I can see how logically speaking, school would just reflect um, our our the society that has become the the, the mainstream. Like for example, it, it's it's essentially developing. It's specific. It's specific. Athletes used to be more well rounded, but there was never anybody as fast as you see Bolt when they were. Right? Yeah, you know, it's like it we live in a world of, of increasing specialization. If that this makes sense.
0: sense. This is perfect, because this, this is the perfect way to end this conversation. It's been two and a half hours, geez, we're flying here. I know, oh, I, love I know, I it know, a podcast, how this happening. I've got a class, 20 minutes to so have to clean up, but this is a perfect way to cycle it in, because we bring it back to training. You yeah. just did there, we're specializing. Everyone, you know, physique models and fucking whatever, power lift and all. Whatever happened to training for the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> can you out can you run the, the slow sky? Can you outlift it? Can you lift a rock off a mate? Can you carry your mate and fucking can you fight them off? You know, the, can you can you run and climb a tree? All these simple like life skills that training should be that's what exercise is meant to be about. It's meant to be about expression of the human body, you mm. know. And mm. now we've, we've now come to because of Instagram, because of like this. Egotistical fucking narcissistic thing that we've got. We need to be liked, and we need to be valued. That we've, we've forgotten that we're, we're we're preferring to just like it likes over actual skills. Real fucking life. Mm, mm.
1: Well, coming from a functional, you're coming from a combat sports background, and so do I. Even before strength sports, it was combat sports for me, and then it was strength sports. Same so here. it's all it's all, but yeah. So it's all been about function for me, and even here here's the. Here's the fun part. You can have it all. You actually can. Because if you control the programmatic variables that bring about um, real functional improvements in, in capacities like strength, you know, and then you weight the loading parameters to reflect something like says, you get bigger and stronger at the same time. Um, and you can define that as harder to kill if you want. I'd call Unless. it trying
0: to be a cockroach
1: them to be a cockroach uh, <laughs> 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 like biceps over biceps over over function but you know you can you can definitely be a big functional dude we see them we see them all the time it's harder you know what you're talking really about there is improving training purely training for a zombie apocalypse is kind of cool because yeah. it's actually training for everything you know, the likelihood of a zombie apocalypse is infinitesimally small, but regardless of that, which would be would be, be a good crack if there was to a certain extent. If you
0: <laughs> were <Well, after
1: laughs> if, if you had the if you had the perfect base and everybody you loved was safe on a hundred percent, it may be bad. But if you watch The Walking Dead, you would never want it to happen ever, no matter what. Um, but the teenager, the teenager in me um kind of finds the notion of it adventurous, but no. It doesn't have to be a zombie apocalypse to train for one because it just happens to be the answer for you know any calamity in life, even if it's not physical. If you're both aerobically and anaerobically fitter, your pound for pound strength's really high, your gymnastic strength's high, you've got hand-to-hand combat skills, you've got weaponry skills, you've got you know, basic survival skills, you've got first aid skills, medical skills that's that's kind of what you're talking about this 360 degree man for all seasons or person for all seasons
0: that's what i call them free range humans
1: you know that that's a that that, that's that's a that's a real cool position to be in no matter what the
0: situation
1: you know it's certainly better than basing your training around you know tricep kickbacks and
0: drop sets (laughs) yes it it is well, Paul, I think we'll have to leave it there, mate. I've got a class to go and I was, that was two and <laughs> half hours. the And You know something? I knew it was going to be a rabbit hole talk. I knew we were going to go. School, me, this you know? <laughs> but, uh, I really enjoyed that. That was a good crack. Oh, was that's a good cool. class. I
1: love it, mate. Thank People, you for
0: having me on. probably just lost all credibility now talking to me about that shit. But sure. <laughs> right. oh, I think, I,
1: I, I, as I said the whole way through, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, and this is just personal musings on.
0: Yeah, but it's, oh, I You know something, Paul McElroy is more than a strength and conditioning coach. It's, that's the reality, you know, that I'm more than fucking a coach, I'm just a... I'm a yeah, yeah. Who You're a human
1: being first before you're anything else, you exactly. know.
0: Well, mate, thank you very much. I will speak to you soon and, uh yeah, enjoy that. Happy
1: days. Paul, can I ask a favour?
0: Yes. Oh, sorry, on. here we go. How do people get in contact with you?
1: Oh, yes. Well... If you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on you can find me on social media. You can search my name on Facebook and follow me. I think I'm up in friends limit. Or you can find me on Instagram. I'm only just on Instagram and I haven't really figured it out yet because I'm generating access So, what's your handle? What's your
0: handle on Instagram?
1: It's, it's at Paul McElroy Amazing Twelve, I believe. Something like that. That's the that's the number 1212. And then there's the website, dot uh, 12com if you want to learn. there's I have tons of videos on there, even if you don't want to be, if you're not in the fitness industry, you don't want a body transformation, you don't want to become an Amazing 12 coach. There's loads of free educational content on there, on my theories on training, building muscle, losing fat, all that.
0: So what are you going ask Sorry, before you go, you said you are going to say, you wanted to ask something. Oh, first. I was just going to
1: ask you, would you send this to Dwayne? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You could probably cut that off for her, to be fair because I don't oh, think yeah, I'd I'd like all that.
0: I, I just I don't edit these things, I just put them all on. If well. the computer freezes, if the computer freezes, I'll edit it out. Otherwise, it just let it go. Yeah. It's a conversation. Yeah. It's more natural.
1: Well, Dwayne's my trusty media guy, and he can replicate this this podcast for, for our purposes as well, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, it's not a problem. Do you do him a favor? Just send me uh, send me his email in the in the on Messenger there and I'll send it Thank you, buddy. I'll speak yes, to you. Yes, see you later.